Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm the tall S. All right. Shanna, but I'm not that tall. So not that maybe tall. Maybe it doesn't work. But the, stall, uh, the tall S could be the Stacks. Well, it kind of doesn't matter also because uh, the tall <laughs> T is a meaningless title. It has no purpose in the movie. Uh, it refers to nothing. No. There's no T. Nope, there's no T. Uh, I thought it would be our main guy. He was the tall T. His name does not start with a T, and there's only one T in his name. Yeah, there's that guy he works for, or who he used to work for, who has a T in his name, but it can't refer to him. He's barely in the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just meaningless. Yeah, and it's not even, like, it, it's a title that was applied to the movie I guess by the marketing team. Uh, it's it, like this is based on a book by Elmore Leonard, who's you know pretty major uh, crime uh, novelist. Mainly, he did some western novels as well. But like he's known for Jackie Brown, Get Shorty. Oh right. You know, a lot of big '90s crime films based on his stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, his novel was just called The Captives, which. That's a good title. That makes that sense. Is... That has stuff to do with this. Yeah, that's what the movie's about. But the movie we're talking about is called The Tall T, directed by Bud Baddeker from 1957. Uh, like Backlash, sort of a noir western, early noir western about damaged people, uh, villains having a lot of backstory, uh, a lot of blurring the lines between good guy and bad guy. But not yet revisionist Western, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because our uh, our hero is, well, the, the trailer says that the T stands for terror. So I figured maybe the hero is a terror. <laughs> no, no. no, no, he is not a terrifying man. Uh, he's not a lonely outlaw or he's not a wandering stranger. He's not a legendary gunman. He's just a guy. He's just some dude. He's just kind of caught in a situation. Uh, like the scariest person is Henry Silva in this, who's very young and just he's obviously a sociopath. Like he in in the modern era, he's someone who would be trending towards just becoming a serial killer. Uh, I'm guessing which one was he? Henry Silva, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the character offhand because we haven't gotten anywhere near there yet. But he's the, you know, he's the scary one. Oh, the uh, guy who's like, I'll shoot everything and shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah, he's. Uh, we've seen him before in Alligator. He was the alligator hunter. Oh wow, yeah, that was. That, I mean, that's many years later. He was quite a bit those. older, yeah. but he still looks the same. Like he's very recognizable. <laughs> I think we've seen him in a few things. He might even have been in The Godfather as well. Henry Silva's in stuff. So uh, this is written by Burt Kennedy, uh, who you may know uh, as Polly from the Rocky movies. He's a great screenwriter back in the day. No kidding. Yeah. So this is one he wrote. And this is the second of seven different movies made by uh, Bud Bedeker with Randolph Scott as the star. This is the first of like a series of low budget ones. I think the first one was made by a different production company. Yeah, the box set is called Five Tall Tales, so maybe that's what the tall T refers to. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, they're trying to make some sense out of it. Every marketing department has to. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting to compare to both uh, Backlash, which I think is also a 1957 Western, or maybe that one's 56, I think. But 
you know, very close to the same time. And then as well as the other stuff that we've watched, like the spaghetti westerns, like Sartana and uh, the Man with No Name trilogy or the the Dollars trilogy. Mm-hmm. Or, or it, the Quick and the Dead, which is a completely oh, yeah. different animal. Well, it's kind of amplified from all of them. It's it's drawing upon all of those things. Uh, but this one is is interesting as sort of one of the early primal ones. It's clearly a very influential one on uh, on what's his name, <laughs> fucking Leone. He's clearly oh, a yeah. major Leone influence. He like acknowledged Leone influence right on the packaging of this set, uh, which I should say, yeah, it's the powerhouse indicator. Uh, Bud Bedecker, Randolph Scott Western's collection of tall tales. Which I don't think is in print anymore. This is like a numbered box set, and I've had it for like a decade, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have seen the rest of these, I think. So Are they it, as it, good as this one? Uh, I recall them all being pretty damn good, yeah. They're they're all solid. They They all have this sort of minimal mythic West, but with people who are very real. You know, the, the, you have like a couple people who are just, they're much more realistic than your classical western uh pure hero pure bad guy mm-hmm. this does the the opening of this is very similar to a lot of the ones we've seen in terms of the spaghetti westerns uh and i feel like maybe it's sort of borrowed from Bedeker's work with randolph scott slowly coming out of the haze and this desolate rocky landscape while the credits are uh, coming, They're, the credits are just red and sun blasted. I think it's the same font used as rope, actually. Very similar. That or, kind yeah, of, similar at least. Yeah, it's similar like that bright red, that sort of bloody and uh, very uh, harsh Western font, and yeah, just this very rocky landscape. Not majestic. It's not like these huge plateaus and vistas. It's rocky. You have to get around things. Yeah, it's. Uh... I wonder. I've got this headcanon that uh, hmm. that this movie takes place on the exact same ranch, but about a hundred years apart uh, from our next movie. Somehow. Okay. Yeah, I could maybe see that. Because uh, it, it, it's just it's so in the middle of nowhere. It looks gross. It does feel like a place that would become terribly haunted uh, from the horrible things that happen in it, which you don't expect. For the first 15 or 20 minutes, it seems like a totally classical Western with just, like, comedic characters and cute kids. And, <laughs> <laughs> and golly gee, shucks, I fell in the water trough. Yeah, uh, and then it just takes an immensely dark turn. We've got, like, uh, well, I kind of describe the villain as uh, Lee Van Cleef's less successful second cousin. You mean like Richard Boone, Frank Usher, our our main bad guy, or his mini bosses, his 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 gunsels? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're an interesting crew. I like I like Frank a lot. Um, Frank's very interesting. I think he's the best character in the movie. Uh, yeah, um, I agree because I, even though I like uh, Randolph Scott's character, because more likable like, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's not like the big hero. He is still the good old all-american boy who will do who will do the right thing when the chips are down but he's also stuffy and he he has problems of his own like he's not that pure uh, he's obviously very pig-headed and he gets himself into stupid situations because of it <laughs> i like to imagine that up until meeting the bandits every one of his days goes like the day he has 
I mean, it kind of seems like anytime he comes out of his isolation in the rocky wilderness, which we don't even know where it is. He he is so far from society that he just has a rock farm out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, he'd like to get plowing it real soon. He's got his whole oh, yeah. plan about it that he tells uh, the bandit leader, interestingly. He tells it to a few people or he's like giving slivers of it to everyone. But, uh, you know, no one really believes it's going to happen. But it, like the only person who seems interested, who's like, you know, I'd like that life. I, I really appreciate that is Frank, the bad guy. He, he's the only one who kind of sympathizes with him, which is they, they find a weird sort of uh, mutual sympathy that they don't have from anyone else around them. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the Because they mentioned in the uh, intro, I, re- I watched the Martin Scorsese introduction. Very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they mentioned that he... That the relationship between him and Frank is the most interesting part. I expect, kind of expected them to become sort of friends or begrudging allies, but they do involve an interesting relationship, but it doesn't end well. Yeah, it's not friendly. It's more just these are two very lonely men who can see eye to eye and just don't have that anywhere else. Uh, and and that's sort of compelling to them. Even if they do find each other kind of repellent, they both have a moral code that the other can respect in a weird mm-hmm. sort of way. Mm-hmm. Like they, by the end of the movie, each one of them understands the other pretty perfectly. Yeah. For better or worse. Yeah. Uh, fatally well. <laughs> so it, it begins with Scott, you know, he rides out of this rocky emptiness and he finds the, this very remote station. Uh, and there's just two people there. And at this point, it's not yet entirely clear whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. We see him riding out of the mist. Is he the hero or is he the villain? And the kid runs to see him. So we guess it. Well, I guess he's probably the good guy. <laughs> uh, I thought he was just a stranger in town at this point until the kid starts calling him by name and being like, hey, it's Mr. Uh, Mr. Brennan. Mr. Brennan. Yeah. Pat Brennan. Uh, Patrick Brennan is Mr. Scott's name. So, yeah, he, he, he they're friends. Uh, the the kid, one, one thing that I think is really dark on a second viewing is the, the kid is introduced dropping rocks down the well just to see oh. how deep it is. It's like, hmm, I'll check that out. That's cool. I and then see. he sees Scott approach like, oh, hey, he runs to see him excitedly. So I think it's interesting that we've got this remote-ass station out in the middle of nowhere, and he is, like, remote from the remote station. Yeah, exactly. He's so fucking far away. He is out in the far wilderness. So this other guy, Hank, Hank is the station man, uh, and he readies his shotgun because he doesn't know who this guy is, and this is a dangerous place. Uh, there's all sorts of outlaws roving this landscape and he's starting to feel like he wants to get out of this business. Yeah. Um, Brennan even says like, Hey, your son's going to be a great station man someday. And he's like, uh, no fucking way. Yeah. He says a man shouldn't be stuck by himself in this country. It ain't natural. And He's referring Bird. to himself, but yeah, he's also kind of referring to fucking poor uh, 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 Pat, Pat Brennan. <laughs> Brennan. <laughs> he he might as well be the man with no name. He <laughs> yeah. 
but the kid's really cute. He's sort of adorable. Uh, uh, Pat's on his way to visit the the town, which is even this like the the closest town is a place called Contention, which that's a great <laughs> name for the town, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, one point of contention that I have. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. The the name conflict disagreement. Uh, he's going there so he can buy a bull, a seed bull. He says. Well, he's going to have a disagreement over that. There's going to yeah, be some uh, contention. Yeah, there's going to be some contention there. So he's stopped at the station because he's got to get water for his horse because it's a long way from his nowhere ranch to the station to get to somewhere. And then, then God knows how long from the station to the town, he was going to walk all the way back. Well, he was kind of hoping he wouldn't have to, but he was sort of stuck on it, and he's a very stubborn man. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So everyone gathers around the well, and they they have a chat. You know, everyone's just, you know, enjoying the well, and uh, there's the thing about, oh, Jeff's going to make a great station man someday. Uh, but Hank's like, no, no, man, I'm retiring and getting out of this business. And it's it's too lonely. It's too dangerous. It's no fit life at all. Yeah. I, the kid's going to grow up all weird. Like yeah, someone I know. <laughs> strange and isolated <laughs> and stuffy and stubborn. But uh, he it's basically just it was fine until his wife died a few years ago. And then just it's totally sucked since then because it's just him and the kid in this emptiness with just danger at every turn. It's like, man, this sucks. Why would you want to live out here? Because there's nobody around. I, I see the appeal. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get it. I mean, I'd rather have something better than a, than a rock farm that I have to plow myself, but, you know. Well, I'd want to have internet. You know, I, I wouldn't want it in this era. That would really stink. You yeah, don't even have books. Oh, that's true. <laughs> They'd be so expensive. It's incredibly isolated. Uh, and, you know, he's just living on his farm. I, I'm not into farming. I've, I've been on farms. <laughs> it's a good it's, point. Not for me. So uh, Jeff, the kid, you know, he's, he's starting to leave and he stops and like, can you buy me some cherry candy? Or he, he gives him a coin to buy some cherry candy for him. You know, he's not going to get uh, Brennan to pay for it. You know, upstanding course. kid, cute kid. <laughs> And of course, Brennan, being the upstanding citizen he is, is like, well, yeah, of course I'll do that. Most certainly. I'll make a point of it. And uh, one thing that I noted that's really interesting, as he's riding away from the station, there's one shot where you see uh, Jeff and Hank uh, in front of the station. And through the window, you can see someone walk past. Like inside? Uh, not inside, but just like uh, like there's the the window inside, like you can see through to the outside because oh. it's like that the sort of corral area where the horses right. are or whatever. And you see someone walk by. I think it's Billy Jack. Oh, dear. Billy Jack being uh, the dumb bandit, the youngest one, the stupidest one, the the most impressionable. He He clearly hasn't seen as much action as uh, our other guy, but he's ready to go there. Oh, yeah. So uh, Jeff goes to contention. Or no, no, Jeff, before Jeff asks, excuse me, Jeff asks Brennan about contention. 
It's like, well, what, what's it like in the town? And that's sad, right? This kid has never been out of this spot, this station in the middle of nowhere. That, that is this kid's entire existence. What is a town, Mr. Brennan? What are people? Yeah, he's like, oh, there's people, lots of people. And it's like, wow, I'd never seen anything like that before. Like, guess oh. you never will, kid. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, uh, Brennan runs into town, and he runs into this guy, Rintoon, uh, played by Arthur Honeycutt. He's the stagecoach driver. He's kind of a comical drunk, comical, uh, irascible, you know, frontiersman guy. Yeah, like a like a friendly Yosemite Sam. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, and and they get into how Pat used to work for this guy Ten Vord, who you might think, hey, maybe that's a tall T. It's the only person with T in his name. But no. he is not a tall T. <laughs> no, he is not, not tall, and this movie is not about him. Oh, he's he's not really much in this. Uh, he, he's uh, Brennan's like, look, he worked me too hard, uh, and we we do get a very clear impression of him as a stubborn individualist. He just like he does things his own way, and that's how it is. Mm-hmm. He is supposedly the best ranch hand in the West, although he never gets a chance to. Well, no, he does get a chance to demonstrate it, but he doesn't pull it off. Well, he he does as best he can with the the situation of like someone else's screw up, really. So yeah, you know, you know he he does what he can. But uh, Rintoon is also like uh, what's his name uh, Hank. He's also like, yeah, I'm getting out of this business. It sucks now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the way things are progressing, I, I, like it's just a dead end. The rails taking over. Uh, me running a stagecoach. We're the last ones left. Who, where else am I going to go? It's they're putting GPSs on the stagecoaches. They're tracking us. I can't just stop at the saloon whenever I want. Well, it's just a thing of like they, they got railroads. The stagecoach business is dead. Automation is killing me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just also like, it's too dangerous. I'm not having any fun anymore. It's it's sort of a drag. It's much the same thing that Hank's saying. It's like, yeah, this business of being like a Western guy sort of sucks. Maybe we should stop doing it. We're all like, yeah, no one's having any fun anymore. Yeah, we should stop before we get killed. But let's just do one more day. Yeah, well, just uh, this one last job. Yeah. Uh, so Rintoon, he has this job right now. He's driving these newlyweds to this nearby town of Bisbee. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mims. Oh, Mr. Mims. Willard Mims. What a <laughs> what, what a guy. Ass. Immediately, he's such an ass. Uh, he, he thinks he he thinks he's Tan C with his coach and his yeah. uh, yeah. being rude to the coachman. Yeah, because like he's demanding extra service. He's like, "Well, go go fetch my stuff." And he's like, "That's not my job. <laughs> I drive coach, buddy." Yeah, and like uh, th- that's exclusively what I do. I'm the guy who takes you to the place. I'm not gonna go carry your luggage. Eat my ass. Uh, and uh, he also is like, "By the way, I know you're not the one who's putting up the money for this. Why don't you shut up?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's my wife's money, and my wife's money is basically mine, and I'm going to use it that way as much as I can. Right, so his father-in-law is this guy, Old Man Gateway. (laughs) Great names, (laughs) by the way, in this movie. Oh, totally. (laughs) Uh, Very rich in copper mining, so 
Now, that, that's obviously why he has married uh, Doretta Gateway, who is also a very interesting character, uh, played by Maureen O'Sullivan, probably the other really great performance in this. Uh, like, I'd say O'Sullivan and Boone are certainly the most interesting. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Rintoon says how, well, you know, Doretta was scheduled to be an old maid <laughs> until oh. Willard turned up. Yeah, wait, I'll marry her. Yeah, sure. What compromise? I mean, yeah, I love her. Yeah, I, they talk mean about her in this movie. Yeah. Rintoon, plain as an adobe wall. Well, <laughs> they don't doll nice. her up. Yeah, no, it's not very nice, but it, it's interesting. <laughs> they don't glamour her up the way you normally would for one of these Westerns. I, I think this one is interesting for the way it doesn't do all of the hollywood western stuff mm-hmm. especially for its time because it's you know 57 they're just not playing any of those games so uh pat's like well, i think she's kind of nice because you know he lives alone in sasabi creek <laughs> this is the first woman i've seen in a decade yeah he's population one out there so <laughs> and then they're like I mean, everybody knows Willard married her for the money, except her, maybe. She probably knows, but it's going to take her a while to... (laughs) Yeah, she kind of knows. No, I definitely love him. Yeah, and he absolutely loves me, I'm sure of it. And we're going to find out when our love gets put to the test of this movie. You bet. So Brennan, he heads to the Tenvord Ranch because he's got to get the seed bowl. This is the only guy who has him, which is a pain in the ass because he's his old boss and he always wants him to come back to work. Yeah, hey, come back to work. My uh, my ranch hand, he sucks. <laughs> yeah, come back. I su- Hey. <laughs> that guy is pretty dumb. Jace. Uh, <laughs> oh, he has a name? <laughs> Jace. He, yeah, he's kind of a tool. So we arrive with Jace already screwing things up, essentially, because he gets there and there's this horse that's totally out of control and breaks out of the corral. Oh, yeah, it's this whole thing like they they bust one of the fence posts. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's this whole this whole incident. And Brennan's like, oh, I got to put out a fire before I even say hi to anyone. Yeah, bust the corral. And he he doesn't really even successfully do this. Uh, He. He very easily ropes the horse as it goes past with, without, like, any problem at all. Just like, whoop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he ties it onto a post, but the post is just too rickety, and it flies away with the horse. <laughs> like, oh, well. And and Tenvord comes up and is like, man, it's it's hard to get good help these days. You know, you know who's <laughs> really good? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not interested. I, I really like his thing about it. He's like... Well, this guy, he's just, uh, this Jace guy, I mean, he's all right. He's just filling in until my much better guy comes back. Uh, Let me tell you about this guy. And it slowly comes around that it is obviously Pat that he's talking about. He's like, (laughs) so what about it? You're going to come back? (laughs) Well, I got my own ranch. I got my own ranch. And he's like, yeah, that's a pipe dream. Come back and work for me. You're the best ramrod in the West. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. I mean, he seems to be decent. (laughs) So he offers him a deal. And this seems to be a thing that has happened before. He's like, oh, the same kind of deal that made me lose that 50 bucks the last time I was here. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like he can never just get a straight conversation with Ted Vorty. He's always got to do some kind of wager with him. 
Yeah, he really wants to buy that ranch. I mean, he really wants to have him work for him again. Uh, <laughs> I, I presume his descendants become uh, the the main uh, antagonist, quote unquote, in Bloodshack. <laughs> Oh, but we, this is really the ranch and bull riding episode. It really is. <laughs> so he offers him the deal. He will, if he can ride the bull to a standstill, he can get it for free. Just choose your bull, ride it to a standstill. You know, you, I'm not even going to pick one that's going to be too much for you. I just want to see if you can do it because he's not a bull rider and he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> of course he agrees because he can't not. Well, he has to put up his horse in the deal like if you lose you lose your horse i'm keeping your horse and you know that means he has to walk all the way back to sasabe creek that means he has to he he could be injured by being thrown from the bull and that's sort of what tenverde is counting on he says to jace like how long do you figure it'll uh take to heal up from getting stomped by a bull about three weeks well, that should be time to convince him to take the job. And he's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Are you trying to replace me? I'm like, yeah, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so he rides the bull pretty well. But obviously he's thrown and he has to jump into the fucking trough to escape. It's a comedic sequence. <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, the thing about the bull riding scenes in this and in the next movie is I don't think they really move the plot along but the movie would be a lot lesser without them in it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting contrast of tone. It's like, oh, well, let's jo- go and have this little detour and everyone can have a good day and we can uh, be light for a moment. And then like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess that didn't really have anything to do with anything. This one, it's it's plot important in that he loses his horse. But, you know, he, th- this is such a detour in the tone of the movie. It, it gets so <laughs> dark later that it's just weird when you when yeah. you watch this a couple times you're like yeah these scenes feel strange now <laughs> knowing what yeah to come. it's like because we haven't seen the dark stuff yet it kind of reminds me of uh, a little bit of stingray where right. it has like the weird hee-haw humor but also gets yeah. really dark but stingray started with the brutal execution of two cops yeah and it just kind of goes back and forth and back and forth this one it's really cute for about 15 minutes and then it hits a wall and it's like uh now everybody's dead in a well (laughs) (laughs) so uh pat he loses very graciously you know to his credit he's not sour about having lost the bull riding thing he laughs he you know he he agrees that it's funny that he fell in the trough but (laughs) obviously he punches out jace because fuck that guy oh yeah sure (laughs) that guy sucks he's laughing too much yeah rip jace so he's left to walk back to the station because his pride is too much for him to actually just stay and take the job or work with the guy until he can earn his horse back in the bowl or something. Yeah. Well, he had the money to buy this, to buy this bowl. That's what he went in there for anyway. I guess he just right. well, cause, his money. Well, it's what he says when he's talking to Rintoon earlier that he never allows him to just buy something. It's always Uh, kind of a challenge. You know, you got to talk him into selling you something, but there's no one else he can go to. He's the only business in town. I want to buy your bull. Yeah. I want to buy your bull. Like I want you to come back and work for me. So this one, at least there's a counter negotiation. It's not just, you know, think about it. I don't know. Let me have a monologue about it. 
<laughs> a voiceover monologue. <laughs> voiceover about it, yeah. <laughs> uh, the rodeo was picking up at an incredible pace. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> oh, well, we are going to have fun in I our love second that movie. part. So uh, he's walking back to the station. Very fucking long walk. And Rintoon happens to come by with the Mims. So he, he like hitches a ride with them. Although Willard Mims is not all for it. <laughs> How dare you think you could be in the same general vicinity as this private stagecoach? You certainly can't be inside. You have to be on top. And I don't even really want you there. It's like, oh, Rintoon, I'm going to see that you're fired. And he's like, man, I don't care. <laughs> I don't even want this job. I, I'm planning on quitting. You know, uh, why don't you just uh, get back in there and shut up? Nobody wants to walk anymore. Yeah, and Doretta's like, come on, you're going to make him walk all this way? What, what do we care if he's riding up on top? Chill out. I wanted like, to... I wanted to express my newfound wealth power on the pores. Well, that's his whole thing. He is new money and he's just the shittiest of new money. And he has really no concept of anything outside of himself. Like he is not someone who should be in the West. No, he's, but there's a lot of him in the West. Yeah. He's an opportunist who's out there to make money, but he understands nothing. And he's so easily fleeced. <laughs> so, oh Yes. But, like, uh, Brennan, he's like, I, I need to borrow a horse from Hank at the station. Can I just ride with you up top? I'll, you know, I'll ride shotgun. I, I'm not going to cause any problems. No, there, it, it literally can't affect you. <laughs> and like, oh, well, if you stop to talk to everybody on the road here, we're never going to get there. And, like, everybody on the road here? <laughs> yeah. We, this is everybody on the road. This long, empty, desolate stretch. Yeah. <laughs> As they approach, we don't see them. Like, when they're approaching the station, we see them from a POV inside the dark building. Just a silhouette. Oh, yeah. The inside of the building is dark. Dark. And Ninjas uh, could hide there. And we see someone readying a six-shooter. Oh, that doesn't seem like... Well, Hank kind of... Well, we saw... Kinda, we saw Hank ready a gun when when he was arriving earlier, but this is different because this is not the same weapon. And also it's dark. He's not coming out. We don't see Jeff. Hey, yeah. Where is the kid? Oh, I just remembered where the kid is. So the coach stops to let Patrick off and he calls out for Jeff. It's like, hey, Jeff, Jeff, where are you, kid? Got your candy. Yeah, I got this candy for you. Where are you? And a voice from inside like, we don't see anyone yet, but it just says, drop your guns to uh, Rintoon and uh, Brennan. And our yep. two guys step out, uh, Billy Jack and Frank. I'm not really familiar with the guy who plays Billy Jack, but Frank, or no, no, uh, Frank obviously is uh, Boone. And then after Frank, there's uh, Chink, played by Henry Silva. Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> I mean, it's it's the name of the character. It's the name of the character, so. I mean, and, and he's I not Chinese, not racist, so it's yeah. He's not Chinese. So it's Maybe not it's meant okay. to be that. I mean, it's probably sort of a, a not not great name, but whatever. <laughs> he's like he's supposed to be Hispanic and kind of a serial killer. Obviously, like, he's heading that way. 
Oh yeah, he's you know he's the fastest gun in the West, or you know the fastest gun that these guys happen to know at least. Yeah, he's faster than anyone else here. Uh, Rintoon goes for his shotgun, and he is killed by him. This is sort of how he's introduced. Is uh, he has not appeared yet, but uh, Rintoon goes for the gun. He gets shot, and then the third guy, Henry Silva, comes out. Yeah, how he just comes out of the shadows. You don't even know that there's a third guy. Yeah. And Billy Jack, he just grabs the candy and starts sucking on it. And he's like, oh, and then they start like looking around the coach because they think it's the male coach because that's what they're waiting for. Yeah, but uh, they got the time wrong. Yeah, it's not due for another hour. This is this is, this is just some random coach. Well, of course, you're not really expecting one of these type coaches to be going. It's something that uh, Rintoon was sort of uh, ribbing mims about back in the town it's like do you really need this much of a coach for you to go to from town to town why don't you just wait for the actual mail coach and go with them but waving money around yeah i guess so and it's probably a thing where maybe they would be better armed but i would probably end up in the same situation for him ultimately so that doesn't really make a difference but it does unfortunately involve these other people in it Mm -hmm. so first doretta is sent inside to make food for everybody. Uh, just get her out of the way uh, while all the bad stuff starts to be revealed. Ooh, yeah, I, I like it. It takes it takes a while for everything to click into place just what's going on. And they never quite spell it out. They're always like, Brennan, do you know what's going to happen here? Uh, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, well, it's, it's they, they're pretty clear because he says, well, the old station guy, uh, where uh, there's a guy named Hank. I, I know him. Uh, where is he at? And they say, oh, he's in the well. Hmm. And uh, thought, the kid of his, like, same. I thought maybe they just kind of lowered them in there and made them float <laughs> in the well. They didn't, but. No, of course not. I was that's, hoping. That's, that is unlikely. But yeah, they're, they're fucking dead in the well. They've been uh, fucking executed and dumped. And yeah, this so is where we, uh, we got child murder on their list of crimes already. Yeah, real quick. The and it's kind of astonishing that they killed off the comic relief character of Rintoon, and they killed off the kid, and they killed off the guy's friend. They're just all gone. And like, okay, no more fun in this movie. These people are all dead. We're not doing <laughs> we have, that stuff. We have killed the heart. Yeah. So uh, Frank asks him, like, you know what's going to happen to you? It's like, I think so. He's like, are you scared? Like, yeah. I, I like that about uh, Brennan, that he's he will cons- consistently admit, like, yeah, I'm frightened. This is a bad situation we're in. I'm having the worst day of my life here, and I don't know if I'm going to make it out okay. Yeah. And Mims just keeps fucking jabbering. Oh, Because yeah, he this... thinks he can talk his way out of things, but he <laughs> cannot. Uh. He thinks he's a lot better, a lot smarter than he is. He really thinks he's in charge of the situation. He's like, oh, well, you know, uh, as he's starting to realize that they're probably going to kill him no matter what, it's like, well, Doretta, you know, she's this rich heiress. You know, you could make a lot more money from ransoming ransoming her than robbing the coach. Just completely selling out his wife, his new wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he suggests that he goes to the next town and delivers the ransom proposal to her father because he knows her. So, you know, he knows it's uh, for real. And it's like, well, 
would I save my own skin to and leave my wife here? Like, I think you would. <laughs> yeah, just the matter-of-fact way that he says it. He just looks at him and is like, I think you would. Yeah, I think you would. I also really like uh, Silva up on top of the coach when this guy's just going on and on. He's like, we've got a talker here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Frank tells Mims, just like, you're going to take a note to someone to deliver to Old Man Gateway. Uh, I'll let you go there and we'll we have this note for fifty thousand dollars. It's a lot in U.S. scrip, which Gateway himself has to personally deliver. But Frank or rather uh, Mims cannot go all the way to him to deliver it. He has to get just outside of town and give the note to someone to give to him because he doesn't want to get him that close to town. No, but you should let me go and do the whole thing because I'm better and I can talk to him and I'll convince him to uh, uh, do the thing and I'm not going to let me do it this way, please. And he sends Billy Jack to accompany him. And he's like, can I say goodbye to my wife? And like, no, you cannot. We're we're going to we're in a rush now. You you just go deal with this. We'll say goodbye for you, which is <laughs> pretty fucking menacing. It's funny that he asked if he could say goodbye to his wife this time, but next time he's like, no, I'm going to leave now. Bye. Well, yeah, I mean, he's had some time away from the situation to realize just how much danger he's in. But there's no point at which he can get away uh, when he's with Billy Jack. So he's sort of stuck. Uh, there is no point at which he can get away. No, at he, all. he thinks there is, but it's it's never something that's really true. Yep. So, of course, Silva, he's like, I want to kill this Brennan guy. Uh, there's, there's no reason to put him around, keep him around. Let's put him in the well, too. And Frank, obviously, is like, ah, I don't know. Let's hang on to this guy. Because it's not, there's no real reason for it from a Desperado perspective. It's just, I need this guy to relate to. This guy seems like he's sort of legit. I could talk to this dude. I can have a conversation yeah. using more than one syllable words with this guy. Yeah, it won't be just about women and booze. And uh, I could go for that. Man, I haven't had a conversation in a while. That would be lovely. <laughs> so uh, Frank orders Brennan to put Rintoon's body down the well, which he doesn't love. Mm-hmm. He like, wants to give him a proper burial and I, all that. Can I give him a proper burial? I'm like, no, no, you cannot. Put him down the well. Uh, and, and that's it. <laughs> that's the comic relief down the well. That is it. That yeah. is the end of... Uh, funny in this movie. <laughs> uh, no more fun. So uh, I, I guess it's it, it ends up being Frank who goes. Oh yeah, no Frank Brennan, Doretta, and Chink. They leave the station. They decide to abandon the mail uh, robbery. I guess because we don't see it happen, and they just go to this nearby hideout. Well, shack. yeah, because uh, Mims gave them a much better idea to do for banditry. Yeah, and I guess they decided, like, eh, we don't need to do the other one anymore. Uh, maybe it'll just have people coming for us that way, and you know that we'll 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 ride this one out first. I guess. Yeah. And that night, they're they're like, Doretta, your husband's gone for ransom for you, uh, and we'll, you two can spend the night in the shack. Uh, and it's sort of. Yeah, like like you said when you were watching, it kind of seems like he's playing matchmaker in a weird sort of way. Kind of. Um, 
I don't know if it, it's I'm sure it's not intentional, but I do think that uh, that Frank realizes that Mim sucks and that Brennan and the girl would be a better match if the circumstances are going to allow those two to survive, which he hasn't decided yet. I don't know if he really thinks about it one way or the other in that respect, but it does sort of seem like, eh, I can put these two together. And he is sort of interested in this guy and he kind of vibes with him and he's sort of thinking of a potential way in which he might get through this. And he's also sort of building up an opposition between him and the two little gun guys because he hates them. He's sick of them. He's really tired of this life. And he's like, man, you know, I could live on a ranch in the middle of nowhere that actually sounds pretty good yeah i want to buy your ranch yeah you know maybe i'll buy your ranch maybe i can buy your ranch and you could like marry this lady and you could be rich and i could just have your ranch that'd be all right Uh, not selling (laughs) but like uh, it, it also seems more just a thing where someone has to be with her and it can't be either of the it, it obviously can't be either of these guys because they're fucking deranged. Something will go wrong. <laughs> Something will. Well, I, their whole plan is to use uh, that much later on is to use Billy Jack's uh, proclivity to make things go wrong against him. Well, both of them. Yeah, it's yeah. a they're uh, they uh, know the, the individual weaknesses of both of them. One of them will always go for its gun and one of them is just too impressionable like he he's just billy jack can be fucked with mentally like you you can (laughs) trick him very easily (laughs) very easily uh he doesn't himself reveal that the husband is the one who told them she's like going on about i'm like oh i I wonder how they found out they must have overheard in town or something (laughs) yeah she probably still thinks that they were targeting her specifically the whole time yeah, it's like, I don't really understand how they could have found out, but, I mean, I, I guess, and it's like, well, I won't soft pedal it, we're probably going to be killed no matter what. Like, it, it doesn't matter, even if the ransom does come and he's able to get it together, they're probably still going to kill us, so we should be prepared for that eventuality, and uh, look for ways to get away from it. Yeah, that that's the thing, he's not necessarily... He's not thinking he can cozy up to Frank and become their friends and get out that way. It's more like, I'll cozy up to Frank more out of necessity to keep my ass safe, but I'm still trying to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he knows that it's not a perfect endgame. He he just got to take any option that he has in this. One thing that I find really interesting in terms of contrast between uh, the the ranch sequence and right here is the next morning, Brendan comes out and he hits his head while leaving the shack. And Frank, <laughs> oh, man, funniest thing he's ever seen. Oh, <laughs> my God. He's never seen humor anymore because he always kills it. He's having such a good time. He's laughing his ass off. And it's kind of a similar situation to fucking Jace laughing at him for falling in the trough. And it's like he can't punch frank so he has to like sit there and take it and like "Mm, fine we know he wants to (laughs) oh yes yes that's the thing about the relationship with these two they never end up liking each other they just get each other yeah they get each other they respect each other so this is like the first of their kind of conversations they're sitting around the campfire having coffee 
And Frank is talking about, ah, it's a shame how plain that lady is. <laughs> She's not all that great looking. <laughs> Come on, dude. It's like, aw. It's like, and her low-grade husband. Oh, that, that's why she could only fetch a low-grade husband. And Pat, uh, very succinct, he ain't much. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that's not the only reason she was stuck with him. No, uh, <laughs> uh, but they, uh, Frank, it's like, they say a man ought not to be alone. And this seems to be a thing that people keep saying to Brennan that's about themselves, but also reflecting on him. Because well, it's like the same thing that... Hank did, right? The same yeah. thing Wintune's saying. Everybody's like, man, you gotta not be this lonely outcast. But they're all saying it about themselves because they're all these Western archetypes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Frank's like, yeah, I don't really like Billy Jack and Chink. They sort of suck. They're dumb. They're really immature. They don't seem to be able to talk about anything but women and drinking, and they don't really know anything about women either. <laughs> it's, uh, it's clear, like, he just earnestly misses camaraderie, conversation. Yeah, so this is what it's like to talk to a person and then have them respond to the things I say that I respond to their stuff. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. It's like coming out of COVID. <laughs> so he asks about his farm. Well, yeah, tell me about this farm you have out in the middle of nowhere. And it's, he, he, you know, gives the details of his stock and everything's like, ah, man, that would be great. I really like that. And he's like, a man ought to have something to be proud of. Like, yeah, he's that's... been in this life for a while and it sucks he's he's found it empty yeah i mean what is what does he have to show for himself he's just he's like the kids in train spotting he's just gotta keep doing it because he can't just live off one big score yeah where, where are you gonna go <laughs> yeah <laughs> just gotta keep doing it forever and that's that's your life right and he's like or, or brennan's like will you figure you'll get it this way <laughs> Like, is this going to be how you're going to get this uh, farm and retire and stuff? Like, well, sometimes you don't have a choice. He's like, don't you? <laughs> Does like, he? What, what did happen to Frank to make him take this road, though? We don't find out. Impossible to say. But on the other hand, in the West, you kind of can reinvent yourself. It, it's That's more a matter true. of putting up the capital or something. But obviously, you know... Uh, Brennan doesn't have a lot of capital. He's just scraping by. He's just making it work. Uh, Frank is not as willing to put in that sort of work. He, he's got the criminal lifestyle. He's like me. It's like I like the idea of having a ranch, but I don't like the idea of working on the ranch. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Billy Jack shows up again with Mims, comes back and is like, oh, well, Old Man Gateway agreed to the terms. He'll be showing up with the money at this point, at this time, tomorrow. Mims is so happy. He is stoked. He's like, I fucking negotiated the deal. It rules. I did it. Oh, my God. Uh, we, we made it work. Uh, I, 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 we're, we're all going to be okay. And they're like, all right, well, I guess we don't need you anymore. You could go. He's like, really? Uh, Are you sure? I can go? I, I can go. Like, could I like? Do you do you want to say goodbye to your wife before you go? It's like ah, uh, you not. know what? No. Well, he to his credit, he does ask about her and like is is Doretta okay? 
He's like, yeah, she's fine. Do you want to go say hello to her and say goodbye before you go? And he's like, oh, well, I'm kind of in a hurry. It's probably but you know, to expedite this whole thing and get to Mr. Gateway and make sure this all comes off right. I should probably get back there. Yeah, yeah. If I can just get away from you guys sooner. Yeah. They're like, OK, you you can go then. Like, OK, great. And he starts to walk away, like, oh. hopefully, hopefully. And of course, uh, they're just waiting to just the right point. Like, all right, shoot him. The right point is when he turns around and fucking waves, waves. to them. Yeah, and they're like, all right, get him now. That's <laughs> funny. This is the perfect moment because Doretta has also just come out, so now she can see it. <laughs> and of course, she's she screams. Yeah, she's crying. She still is sort of convinced that she loves him. <laughs> she's sort of convinced that maybe he loves something about her. Yeah, and Frank's like, hey, what's the matter with her? Lady, don't you know what you just got out of? <laughs> I love how she's like crying. And he's just like nudging her with his foot. Like, what's going on? Why is she on the floor? It's like, what's your problem? This guy sucks. We we did you a favor getting rid of this asshole. And they inform her that like, don't you know he sold you out? That he's the one who came up with this ransom idea? Yeah, Brennan's like, yeah, she didn't know that. He's like, oh, I guess, I guess she didn't. Yeah, and it's like, well... That's too bad. I mean, that guy was gross. Uh, fuck him. <laughs> Boone's like, I'm sorry. I, that guy was uh, disgusting and bad. So rip <laughs> him. Whatever. Uh, what's interesting, I like they have a conversation about it. Um, I can't remember exactly how it starts, but uh, Pat asks him, like, hey, is it OK to be like sh- something about like your morals and like, how is it OK to be shooting a guy in the back? Right. Uh, and he says, well, if you don't know the difference, I ain't going to explain it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I really like that because I, I kind of get – I think I get why Frank did it. He's like disgusted by this man's cowardice and gave yeah. him every chance to stay with his wife through the ordeal and do the right thing. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do the right thing. I'm going to run away. And it's like, fuck this guy. Yeah, he, he did give him a few opportunities to uh, think – to be a better man, but – I think there was really no way that Mims was ever getting out of this situation. I think that Mims was dead from the moment his uh, stagecoach rolled up there because Mims is incapable of being a better man. Oh, sure, sure. I just, but yeah, like. Yeah. I lost it. <laughs> okay. So uh, they they get in a con- or, uh, Brennan and. Brennan and uh, Doretta go back to the cabin and they run into Chink and he's like, that was kill number seven. He's like, oh, yeah, well, uh, when are you figuring on uh, the next morning? He's like, probably tomorrow morning before we leave. We'll have eight and nine. Uh, Pretty clearly planning on killing. Yeah, that's pretty clear. They know that the ransom is coming. Like he he's making it clear that they're going to kill them either way. Which just seems silly. It's like. You can just take the ransom, let him go, and but then you don't get to kill anyone that way. That's kind of standard procedure. Most of the time when someone is ransomed, you don't get them back. You They, they give the money, and then they kill the person. That's usually what happens. Ransom is uh, not something you usually want to pay because uh, it doesn't work out in 99, 99 out of 100 cases. They just kill the person. Well, that seems <laughs> dumb for the ransomer, too, though. Like, I, I don't understand right. that. Well, because, I mean, yeah, it's... It, it, it's not a business model, you know? They're they're just like, 
yeah, we get someone who uh, might have some money, we get what money we can, and then we kill them because otherwise they might be able to identify us. There's, oh, there's, really... there's the identification thing. I get that. And, like, it, it's not like you're going to run out of people who have more money than you and you're just, like... <laughs> I suppose that. not. Yeah. <laughs> this person lives in a building of some kind. I bet yeah. I can ransom them. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, this is where Doretta finally, on her own, realizes, ah, he fucking married me for my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so mad. I get it now. I realize it. Like I'm, I'm sad that he died, but I'm more just mad right now, realizing what an asshole he was. <laughs> I, I imagine she like pre- even pretended to be happy during the wedding and all that. Well, yeah, it seems it's what she seems to be saying that like, I mean, I I really made myself believe that he did love me and that it was real, and I convinced or no, she she even said like I knew he didn't at the start, but I kind of thought maybe over time I could make him. And then she's like, but I saw him killed just now, and I couldn't even feel sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way he died, I don't think anybody's feeling sorry for him. No, and I agree with her. You know, it's like, yeah, I couldn't feel sorry for him either just now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he, uh, Brennan's like, okay, well, we're going to need to work together if we're going to stay alive. Because, uh, man, things are... There's a good chance we don't. And Doretta says, I'm scared. And he says, so am I. Again, he admits it. He's not a perfect Western hero who always gets out of a situation. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine someone like Eastwood doing that. No way. All right, punk. Do you feel lucky? I'm scared in case I'm wrong about how many bullets are in the gun. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, him ever having a uh, uh, weakness in those <laughs> movies. So, like he he's weak in that he will get beat the shit out of, but then he That's finds his way out of the situation. Though. Yeah. No. He's never frightened. He's never worried. He's he's never stressed out. <laughs> that that's the thing I, I hate about like the Hollywood contracts where people can only get punched so many times because it shows weakness. That's not weakness. Jackie Chan gets the shit kicked out of him in every movie he's in, and he's not weak. Yeah, sometimes authentically, like he'll fall off a fucking mountain and roll all the way down and break six bones, and then he's just like still doing his own stunts the next day because he's a fucking superhero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Chink goes out hunting, he gets a deer, and they're all, uh, he, he wants, uh, Doretta to cook it and prepare it. And it's like, man, I, or Frank's like, no, I want Billy Jack to do it. I don't want my meat burnt because she's upset. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also because he just doesn't like Billy Jack and he'd rather that he do it. <laughs> it's more fun that way. But the, yeah, the three of them. Sorry, go ahead. There, there is also the chance that, you know, if you let the captive cook the meat, they could poison you. I don't think they have anything on them. I, I don't Probably think that's not. that's really a worry, but it's just a good caution. Yeah. So uh, there the three of them sit around the campfire and eat and we get a sense of what the average Frank Billy Jack chink night is. And it sucks. <laughs> It's the the two young guys they're talking about women. Uh, they they have a real juvenile delinquent flavor to them. <laughs> uh, I I I think it's yeah. Uh, Chink asks him, "How old are you, Billy?" He's like, "I don't know, young mostly." 
they're like Johan and Marcus. <laughs> what? They they have kind of the same dynamic with uh, uh, Chink as as Marcus and uh, Billy Jack as Johan. Just the <laughs> the sniveling yes man. Yeah, totally. It's like, oh, you ever been to Sonora? Like, no, I've never been there. Like, well, you gotta. There's ten women to every man in Sonora, and I romanced half of them. <laughs> what? Like, wow, he's so impressed. Like, yeah. genuinely. Oh yeah, legitimately because, of impressed. It would be impressive if it were true. Yeah, but and he, he heard it, it, so it must be true. Yeah. And we cut to Frank looking at this, and he's visibly fucking sick of it. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he he like takes some food into Doretta, covers her up with a blanket tenderly. He he has some feelings. He has a bit of a code to him. Yeah, and I mean, he goes. He always keeps them fed and gives them coffee too. Right, and he has kept them alive, which serves no real purpose to him other than uh, emotionally. Mm-hmm. So he goes to Pat, uh, who's cutting the deer, you know, cutting some deer meat strips. Yeah. He's like, I don't know why it, what it is, but I like you. And he, he tells him how he's never shot a person, that uh, he leaves that to these young guns. I'm like, that's not my business. Yeah, well, you tell him to shoot people. So or no, what is it? You roll with them. Yeah, you ride says. with them. You ride with them. Uh, I guess I do ride with them. Yeah, well, like, uh, he, he gives sort of a background of them. that Like, these guys have been criminals since they were kids. They got yeah. no education. Uh, Chink killed his own father at the age of 12, and he's been killing the people ever since. Uh, and we do get, like, yeah, he was an abused kid. Uh, his dad was beating his mom with a broken tequila bottle, and that's why he killed him. But mm. now he just kills for fun, because that's sort of the life he's moved into. Yeah, killing somebody at age 12 will fuck you up, I bet. Yeah, and then it just sort of becomes the lifestyle because it's the West and that's what you do. And Frank's like, yeah, they're nothing but criminal. They're nothing but animals. He's like, you run with them. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, he's like, yeah, I guess I do. But nobody can help their kind. He's like, well, nobody tries. Like, oh, man, you mm. keep pushing back on everything. I'm trying to be friendly with you. <laughs> I don't know why I like you, Brennan. I actually hate you but i love you at the same time yeah it's like look i know that the two of them will want to kill you guys tomorrow morning it's like well what happens then it's like, well like you say i run with them because he's kind of gotten offended that he keeps pushing back on his uh excuses for using these kids yeah but no i don't do the killing so i'm better i just you know I'm the moral bandit. <laughs> I, I'm just the Svengali of this unit. It's kind of <laughs> like a, a an old West cult leader, but you know, I don't really have a cult. We just we're we're just a gang. So Doretta apologizes to Pat. Like she she he goes inside and he's like, I'm sorry about kind of being hysterical earlier. And she talks about the thing about how, yeah, I didn't love Mims either, and I knew it was kind of a sham marriage. But my dad always wanted a son, and I could never be that. So it's just, what else am I going to do? <laughs> fucking sick of being lonely. And mm-hmm. hey, this is what everybody's been saying to Brennan. It's like, man, yeah, I guess I can relate to that. <laughs> sick of being lonely. Well, hey, I know your husband just just died, but <laughs> he sucked. Yeah, he sucked. He gives her kind of a pep talk. 
he's very gruff about it. He's like, look, sometimes you got to walk up and take what you want. <laughs> and they kiss. Yep. And, and it's not even really a kiss or tell she likes it. It's uh, actual. Yeah, she's into him. Uh, he's obviously a rugged, handsome man who is uh, more uh, in touch with his feelings than her crappy dead husband who never loved her in the first place. Uh, does he have feelings, I wonder? I don't know. He's heroic. Well, or, I, mean, I mean, sorry, I'm in the dead husband. Oh, I don't know. Who's, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> good, good point. <laughs> He's a dead idiot. But, like, uh, the, the thing with Brennan is, obviously, he is sort of interested in not being alone, and he does kind of have an appreciation for her, but... I do sort of feel like maybe he doesn't have much in the way of emotion or feeling because he is pretty flat about all of this. I mean, obviously, he's kind of it's traumatic that these people he knew have been killed. The three people he actually knew who were involved in this all died at the very beginning. Yeah, his friends. Yeah, these are, the th everyone here is people he's just met today. Yeah, all of his friends got killed at the start and now he's just in this vortex of strangers waiting to die. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a bad time altogether, but he does seem very stiff. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they have that kiss and Frank goes the next morning to go retrieve the money from gateway. And Pat immediately starts sowing doubt among them that he'll actually come back with the money. Yeah, like, hey, you know, he could just ride off with the whole thing, couldn't he? Yeah. You, you'd never know. And, and we'd so just be the, waiting here. Yeah, so it was like, well, I saw you talking to him the other day real close. Did he tell you anything? He's like, well, what do you think? It's like, I think you're just saying words. He's like, well, then you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's like, okay, well, if I'm lying, then hey. Like, well, Don't worry, it must be fine. Yeah, I guess then uh, it's it's probably just fine then. And he's like, uh, well, maybe I'll just go keep an eye on Frank. I'll, I'll leave and just watch him from up high. Cool. And then, We're gonna get guarded by Johan. Yeah, Johan. That's okay. Now, now we can. Now we have something to work with. <laughs> and he's like, Doretta, unbutton your blouse and just wait for Billy Jack inside the shack. I'll send him in here. And he goes out to have coffee outside. And he, he sort of suggests, like, oh, well, you know, you could uh, maybe head into that shack. And he sort of suggests that he's been sleeping with her, and so has everyone else but Billy. And he falls for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody's had a turn. Why don't, why don't you uh, head in there? And like, really? What? What? Oh, okay. And he's like, you ain't so young, I have to draw you pictures, are you? <laughs> Well, you would have to draw him pictures, but that's it, neither here nor there. I mean, to a certain extent, it doesn't seem like he has any sort of experience. And he goes in and he starts to kiss her. And then Brennan runs in. He grapples with him. And this is pretty extreme for 1957. <laughs> he gets the shotgun under his chin and pulls the trigger. And just, oh, yeah. No head left. Uh, we don't see it, but we see uh, uh, we, we see Doretta reacting to it. In horror. And we see a lot of blood afterward when he's lying on the ground. Ooh, lots of blood. Yeah, a lot of blood for a 50s Western, especially. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the even the later westerns I've seen, though they're violent, they're not often bloody. Most of them. There, there's really only the Italian ones that kind of go with that at times. Because I think that first Sartana was hilariously bloody. <laughs> A lot oh, of headshots in those opening sequences. It's easy to forget about because the second one wasn't. Yeah, the second one is just a totally different tone, a completely different style of film. Yeah. So Chris Chink, having heard the shot, runs back, and they hide behind some rocks. A lot of rocks around here. Sort of looks like a Star Trek planet. Oh, my God. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, shot... If they shot him in the same place or same it's area. Totally realistic. Yeah, because this is a low-budget Western. It's probably near California. Uh, very very likely. Uh, and Pat tells Doretta, look, I'm going to finish this. Some things you can't ride around. And he gives her a couple guns. Like, I, I need you to shoot at him, too. And, you know, he uh, Silva rides back in and he finds Billy Jack's body. Uh, like he goes into the the shack and finds the body, and Brennan is outside. And he's like, "Come out of there!" No, oh yeah, that's I like what he does here because she starts shooting. Mm-hmm. He has her unload the whole six gun, all six shots at the door, just willy nilly, while he waits just outside to ambush. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it works because we have Chick counting the shots too. Yeah, and Brennan as well. Yeah, so he, cuts to, he gets to six, he runs out uh, and goes for his horse, and uh, Pat, he calls first. He doesn't shoot him in the back. He says, hey, Jink, and then he turns and shoots him. Mm-hmm. Or he turns and is shot, I should yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, rip him as well. And then Frank comes back with the money. He, <laughs> he was going to come back. He was going to come back, but and I love when he goes into the cabin, which is really just a cave with a door on it. It's a shack. <laughs> like, it is an old shack, a lean-to, and he finds the bodies in there. <laughs> I love how his whole reaction is basically, hmm, they're dead. Well, I'm not going to investigate this too closely. I'm just <laughs> yeah, going like, to leave. Well, uh uh, it's all part of the trade. It's probably not the first time this has happened. He says he always uses these young guns. It's probably, <laughs> these are not the first. Oh, not so he doesn't use these particular young guns, but like these as in those people, those young guns. That's what I think. I think this is just oh. sort of his business. He regularly gets some new young gun who's a hotshot, who will go in suicidally and will eventually get killed doing this. And then he's the one who rides off with the money. He probably sparkle or uh, sprinkles in a few Joker plots there. Here and there. You're going to refer to sparkle motion. Like, you know, you, you see, you'll get them in the sparkle motion and they just, <laughs> you know, got to stay devoted to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and of course, Patrick gets the drop on him. Uh, and he immediately drops the gun saddlebags because uh, he's he will not turn to face him because he yep. knows he knows Brennan will not shoot him in the back. Yeah, and he's basically like, well, really sucks that I have to leave all this money behind, but I am going to get out of here alive, and I know that you're not going to do anything about it. Yeah, he he just drops it all. He keeps his hands raised. He's like, I'm just going to keep walking away from you now. He's like, hey, stop. He's like, look, I know you're not going to shoot me in the back. I'm just going to walk away. <laughs> and, he, and, and he walks to the same archway, that, like the same stone formation that uh, that Mims got shot in. 
Yeah, and he rides away, and he knows he can wave, because that's not Pat's thing. He's not going to just shoot him unarmed when he's waving. So he's like, all right, goes around the corner, and then he pulls out another gun, because he can't leave well enough alone. That's a lot of money. Yep, you see, you can't, it's what Frank says, he can't go against his nature, and Pat's, and if he had listened to, taken Pat's word to heart and tried to, he would have lived. And he could have been set with that money. He could have had a ranch like uh, Pat's. He could have bought that ranch. Well, he wasn't getting the money, but he could have got his life. <laughs> he could have had something. But uh, no, so he got, he's like, I'm going to get the whole money and kill these guys and uh, somehow come out on top. He's like, oh, this is definitely going to work. Uh, even though I've never shot anyone before and I've always used other people to do my shooting, this is probably going to be fine. I've seen people do it all sorts of times. It looks really easy. Uh, yeah. He comes back and he gets shot in the face immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's running back or he's riding back. And Brennan is briefly surprised that he came back. Uh, he, he really did expect him to just ride away without the money. And he's still, you know, he gets up the gun and he shoots him in the face. And it's funny, like he stumbles into the shack and then he sort of falls back out through like the ragged sheet that's a door. And we just see a lot of blood coming out of where the face is. Oh, right. It's not even a door. It is a sheet. <laughs> yeah, because like he puts his arm through a piece of it and, and it falls down with him when he dies. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, Brennan turns to Doretta and it's like, come on now, it's going to be a nice day. And they start walking for contention. And that's Real it. That's movie. the end of the movie. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. a lot of fun. It's dark as hell for uh, 50s Western. Yeah, um, I don't think it's accurate how we were saying that the fun guys all got killed, so there's no fun after it. There's fun, it's it's just the fun guys aren't alive. Yeah, it's, it's, there, there's fun, but it's dark humor. Like, it's never light again after that. All of the light humor is finished. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's humor, but it's all like, yeah, well, I'm gonna fucking kill you kind of humor. Everyone's like, about to die, you know? Yeah. Uh, There's never any any point that is not tense after that there's no loss of tension at any point whereas usually you have comic relief to kind of let it off here and there yeah no no they front load the comic relief yeah i mean there's humor in the how lame these idiots are it's it is the marcus johan dynamic that they're playing out but it's not um it's it's not light humor. It's still menacing. Like it's clear. Like these guys are these young sociopaths who just have nothing behind them, and they're they're just like, yeah. I mean, they they could kill you, and who cares? Mm-hmm. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty cool. So your first Bedecker Western, uh, an interesting bunch. I think the next one in the set is Decision at Sundown, uh, but this is. As I mentioned, uh, we were talking about how this is the tallest stack for the tall T. Oh, yeah. So we would decide on uh, this versus the next thing in the the stack. So interestingly enough, it's another Bedecker Western. Okay. Uh, this one. Uh, so we, we've got Decision at Sundown, which is the one in the box, mm-hmm. which... Uh, let me think. This one... Uh, here, I'll bring up the thing to remind me because i have seen this one for sure sun's down the town is what are we getting (laughs) kfc or wendy's ah man i i'm sure i've uh 
seen this, but I'm not recalling. Like it's another Randolph Scott one. Uh, there's this. Uh, it's someone looking for revenge. Uh, he his his wife uh, has committed suicide after being seduced by someone, and he's out for revenge for her in oh. the town of Sundown. Oh, interesting. So that's it's at sundown, not the time, but the place. Oh, and he's got to make some kind of a decision. Right. So I, it's it's that kind of cool thing with the names of uh, Bedeker locations. The this one we got sundown as the name of the town. This one's contention. I like that shit. Mm-hmm. So it's that one versus his final film, which is a revisionist western from all the way in 1969, oh, called okay. A Time for Dying. Uh, this one's much less well-known. Uh, it was very little seen for quite some time. It pretty much only played in Texas. Uh, it was just a very tiny, low-budget feature that only played in Texas drive-ins for a really long time. Okay. <laughs> uh, and apparently it's just really mean. Like, it's really, really fucking bleak and hard-edged. It's just oh, no. like... It, it's a Western about... Uh, it's someone... I, I think it's... Uh, here, let me look both of these up real quick so we can make a proper decision. So, oh, right. Time for Dying is like someone being sold into sex work. It's this oh. lady who thinks she's getting a job as a waitress uh, and been sent from the East. And then she gets to her location. It turns out she's supposed to work in a brothel. And, uh, yeah, it's real low budget and it's just... Uh, uh, messy and dark and and real harsh revisionist western period uh, versus this one of course which is a decision at sundown uh, so he's been searching for this guy Tate Kimbrough and it's his wedding day when he comes into town of sundown and he blames him for the death of his wife uh, he you know as I said she committed suicide and uh, this guy seduced her, so he blames him, and he wants to have uh, revenge, and there's a shootout at the church. Okay. And then uh, just, uh, they, yeah, I don't, I don't know, just uh, things start to gradually become kind of wild. Uh, you know, everybody's sort of holding up, and there's sort of a war in town kind of thing. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, you know, classic minimalist Western stuff where you just have uh, the town under siege, you know, uh, someone looking for revenge and someone trying to escape that revenge. Okay, well. And of course, Randolph Scott is the guy coming for revenge. Of course. Okay, yeah, of course. Because these are all Mr. Randolph Brennan's Scott. Mr. Brennan's part two. Yeah, uh, this one, he's Bart Allison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you figure? Uh, do you want to do Decision at Noon next or A Time for Dying? Let's do Decision at Sundown. All right. Um, because if we end up not like this way, I feel like we don't have a whole lot of Westerns in the in the main stacks. There's True. At least not at the top of any stacks. So this way we have like a whole box set of Westerns. And if I change my mind later on after going through another one or two of these – we still got that last uh, that last Randolph Scott one that we can go into. 
Indeed, indeed. There are actually quite a few Westerns in that stack. That's okay. kind of a Western-devoted stack in a way. Oh, but there's others oh, okay. elsewhere, too. All right. So, yes, I've added Decision at Sundown to that stack. So, uh, any last thoughts on... Uh, what was this one? <laughs> the Tall T. The Tall T, right. It has nothing to do with the movie. Any last thoughts uh, on The Tall T before we move on? So few characters even have a T in their name. This can't be referring to anyone. Weird choice. Very strange choice. <laughs> One of those mysterious titles that movies have uh, happen a lot in the <laughs> 50s, especially with these low budget ones, because that's one of the key things to these Bedecker ones is they're very low budget. They're like independent studios. They're not uh, they're not they're not a pictures. These are B movie Westerns. So it's cool how much uh thought there is put into them how much soul they have mm-hmm. one thing that when i was watching the movie i wasn't thinking hey this looks like a low budget movie i was just thinking this is a movie yeah and the, it, it looks good like the cinematography is really nice mm-hmm. the the second feature we're talking about i was thinking the whole time <laughs> about how low budget it was but that's <laughs> Yes, our second feature is a very low-budget film. We'll be talking about some Ray Dennis Steckler coming up next. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to get to him. Oh, um, man, I'm excited. All right, so any more, uh, any anything uh, before we head on over there? At least they weren't got by the trooper. No, you wouldn't want that. I mean, he could have been around back then. I don't know, maybe that was his shack, and it's just a little different in these days. <laughs> who, who knows? Same maybe. mattress. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's seen some use. It's been there a while. All right. Well, on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about The Trooper, a.k.a. Blood Shack, uh, filmed by Ray Dennis Steckler from 1971. Never going to tear this house down. Keep <laughs> knocking them down, Shoop. I'll keep burying uh, them. I... What an interesting fellow Daniel is. Uh, this whole movie <laughs> is interesting. Yeah, I, I guess it's sort of minimalism week on the stacks in a way. Yeah. Very minimalist movies. This one, extremely minimalist. Uh, very <laughs> Ray Dennis Stecklery. <laughs> <laughs> so there are two cuts of this uh, that we watched. We watched... Uh, the Chooper, which I believe is the original theatrical cut. Yeah, and it's 70 minutes long. And then somehow, uh, through <laughs> through some force of black magic, one would presume, uh, the, the home video release of it is 15 minutes shorter and loses no plot. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I went through and I looked at it and I tracked how many scenes were missing and it is more than you think um i'll point them out right. when we get to them yeah there is but, stuff missing it's just there's nothing plot wise that disappears pretty much it's just like i mean it's a shorter movie all the same stuff kind of happens you lose some really great stuff you lose some important atmospheric stuff um you lose the both original songs oh yeah and the the, the main the first song the trooper man I love that song so much. <laughs> uh, the but it, it's, it's weird to talk about atmosphere in this because it's, you know, it, it's very low budget. It's pretty <laughs> trashy, like extremely low budget. And it's 
you know, it, it has that sort of Ed Wood low rent vibe. It's the Ed Wood enthusiastic lo-fi filmmaking. It's someone making an artistic statement that uh, they don't really necessarily have a lot of money to put behind. <laughs> but it's so fascinating. Like, I, I think it's a real genuine work of art. Like uh, Joe Bob Briggs in the intro to this, which I think is from an older DVD, but we're watching the uh, Severin Ray Dennis Steckler box set version. Or we, that's where we watched both of these. Uh, but Joe Bob Briggs in his uh, introduction talks about uh, Ray Dennis Steckler saying his primary influences as a filmmaker are Ed Wood and Michelangelo Antonioni. <laughs> Some really disparate influences, but you do really see them both active in this film. Well, I'm not familiar with Antonioni. I definitely know Ed Wood mm. uh, from both <clears throat> Plan 9 from Outer Space and the movie Ed Wood, which I understand right. does him great justice. I think pretty much. Uh, maybe kind of uh, paves over a few things, honestly. Mm. Uh, but uh, the the thing with, with Steckler is like, or or I guess Antonioni first. Uh, Antonioni, it's all about the alienation and the slow cinema, such so as like long, slow takes, a lot of voiceover, a lot of just sort of people who are reflected by the emptiness of their surroundings that they they really can't. Uh, connect to other people and are just sort of struggling to relate to others. And you just have these long, slow sequences where there's not a lot of talking in a traditional sense, just kind of vibes. Yeah, this is definitely a vibes movie. Big um, vibes movie. And probably the first time I ever truly understood what you meant by slow cinema. Oh yeah. Cause it's, it's wild that, it, and it's why the, the 15 minutes can be cut without much really being missing in a weird sort of way, despite it being a 70-minute movie to begin with, which is very short. But Steckler, he is an efficient filmmaker. <laughs> uh, but this is like sort of the end of his uh, non-porn film career. Like He, he did a couple others, but uh, this is around the point he started to do or shoot a lot of hardcore porn, and that's sort of the section I'm in in the box right now. But uh, he only has, like, a couple others that aren't until he's doing, like, home video stuff in the 90s. So by the time the Trooper came out, he had been doing this for a while? Yeah, this is, like, it, sort of the end of the road as far as his narrative features goes, which is kind of wild. Oh, it <clears> feels very... Uh, Elegiac? Oh, I, I think it feels really elegiac. I mean, it's not super well made, but that's <laughs> you 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 got to see the <laughs> earlier ones. I mean, wow, uh, I guess so. Yeah, this one, it's just kind of interesting how much it's capable of building a vibe and maintaining a vibe. Uh, the the other ones, they really kind of go all over the place. Uh, a, a Steckler plot is a unique thing. It doesn't follow any sort of normal contours. It doesn't have a you know, the, the, the typical man versus X uh, structure. It's, you know, that some stuff happens. A, a bunch of things take place. Maybe not even a bunch of things take place. Yeah, it's possible to interpret this movie in such a way that the main plot isn't about the chooper, it's about the rodeo. Yeah, there's not a lot going on. And yeah, the rodeo takes up 
a chunk. Uh, and it's weird that a lot of it's still left in the shortcut. It's just, it's not as fun. They don't do it as well. <laughs> That's the, the really amazing thing about pairing the two of them is you do get a recognition of how Steckler really was an artist with doing this and how it was legit slow cinema and that it really did intend to have a vibe. And then you lose the vibe when you cut the stuff down, even though all of the mechanical stuff is there. Yeah. But what he, what he must've done, uh, because there's no way even from the scenes that were cut that it adds up to 15 or 20 minutes is cut off like 30 seconds from this long scene, 30 seconds from that. Yeah. You feel it. Oh, you do feel it. And the, the stuff that's lost a lot of it has a lot of charm. Like, it's not just the atmosphere that's lost. You lose really great little tidbits. Like, there's still a lot in the regular version, but it's a bummer when you go to it after seeing the full version because, like, ah, oh, there's no Chooperman. Where, or yeah. the, those beautiful painted opening credits. Oh, yeah. The opening credits that had me thinking this was going to be a monster movie. Right. Th this thing that... I guess we're supposed to take to be the trooper, which is personified throughout the credits, which is a sort of a Sasquatch man. Yeah, yeah. I and in the first kill, the trooper is so poorly lit. I'm like, okay, Could well they're be. clearly doing it this way to obscure how bad the suit is. I can't wait to see how bad the suit is. And it's just a ninja suit. It's a ninja just, suit. Yeah. And, and it's like a, a bad really cheap suit, one, but not the way I was expecting. Yeah, just a really cheap, low-quality suit. Uh, the, the suit is what gave the movie its name, because it made a choop sound. <laughs> walked. Choop, 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 choop. Uh, because it was too small for the person who wore it. Uh, and that's from a previous movie of Steckler's, uh, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters. <laughs> Which they discuss, I don't know if they discuss that one, but they discuss a few of the previous Ray Dennis Steckler films in this film because the right. uh the lead actress apparently is playing herself yeah that is the really mind-blowing thing about this movie in terms of like already we've got the weird slow cinema thing but it's also heavily meta it's like ray dennis steckler doing his version of fellini's eight and a half or you know uh he's doing this recursive thing where it's a movie about his wife playing herself at this point where the their marriage was breaking up just before they actually got divorced. And in this movie, there's all these scenes where she's talking about being divorced from this guy, Cash Flag, which is Ray Dennis Steckler's alias when he was directing those movies. It's <laughs> so interesting. And she talks about failed marriages and an incident in uh, the horror film industry. <laughs> Yeah, and she, like, specifically points out, and, like, here's the poster for Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies. I actually have that poster. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there's, I can't remember which other one. I think uh, Thrill Killers is on there. There's a couple of them. And th they're talking about her death scene in Thrill Killers, I think, during that <laughs> sequence. But, yeah, it's... it's it's so interesting that it's a movie that's sort of reflecting on this marriage that's sort of falling apart but and starring the wife with Steckler as the husband directing, but also kind of personified by this, you know, fucking desert, just this sort of emptiness. 
Desolation? <laughs> it, it's such a strange feeling movie. Yeah. Um, so when I first saw the name The Chooper, I, of mm. course, thought Chopper. it was, yeah, it was paired with the poster art of a like a dude, like a buff kind of alien looking dude with a machete. So I thought it was just a typo and he was supposed to be the Chopper. Yeah, that would have made sense. The cover art looks like it should have been for that Alberta cult movie. (laughs) What was that movie called? Shit. Rousedower. Uh, I'll figure it out. The actual Chooper looks nothing like, or the the Chooper as presented in the film, looks nothing like the oil painting or the poster art. Yeah, Um, no, it's just a dude in a fucking... uh, uh, it is a cheap, like, party city ninja costume that's too small for the guy. And, like, he's even still using the cheap fake sword. That's, yep. the, that's the murder weapon. It's, it's like, completely just a cheap ninja costume and nothing else. The movie yeah. I'm thinking of uh, was The Final Sacrifice. Oh. The, the bad guys are the, the, like, backwoods Canadian cult kind of look like this guy there jacked and they have masks the, the <laughs> trooper does not look like that no no but you don't really well in the first kill you don't get a good look at the trooper at all but in all the subsequent ones <laughs> yeah i mean this is a movie that mostly takes place ones. during the day <laughs> you see him uh like you don't shoot a lot inside the shack because it's too dark in the shack and there's no light in the shack like there's no electricity <laughs> So you can only shoot if it's bright during the day. If if you shoot, like, as we see in this early scene with the trooper, it's too dark to shoot in the shack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so because I thought it was a typo and it's such a silly name, this movie just got, like, so hyped up in my mind. And then when I finally plugged it in, I was like, how – I've hyped it up too much. How can it possibly – justify the hype it would have to be something completely outside of what i'm expecting and it would have to be memeable right so you know it, it is up to the hype yeah no it's completely successful because it's such a strange and unique experience of a film there's really nothing else like it like yep. i mean to be fair it, it is like antonioni and it is like ed wood but it's really only like the collision of the two that kind of only exists here i mean you could argue maybe (laughs) coleman francis the films of coleman francis have a bit of that flavor but uh accidentally they're just oh they're they they can be more of a slog coleman francis did the beast of yucca flats poor johnson melted nuclear scientist (laughs) flag on the moon how to get there (laughs) sorry so the first thing you see when you put the disc in, before you get to any menus or anything, you got your FBI warning and just superimposed over top of uh, that the, scene. The iconic scene, the they're never going to tear this house down. They'll never find the bodies, not where I put them, which <laughs> he did not hide them as well as he thinks he did. I, I really don't know, because all we see is just empty fucking desert. He's digging a hole. Uh, so I don't know. True. It could be, I, it this could is be. this is the Las Vegas desert. Yeah, <laughs> it could knows? be anywhere. So yeah, we open with our um, 
our oil painting Sasquatch thing that gives you an idea that this is what we're going to be dealing with. Some kind of Sasquatch monster that like with big claws and big teeth and a big knife. There's all sorts of blood dripping and stuff. Yeah, it, it looks really classical horror. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, like a universal monster or something like that, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm really surprised that something that, like production value wise, this is pretty high. Uh, in in terms of the stuff, it's surprising that this is one of the things lost in the shorter cut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it kind of necessarily is because it's a different title. Oh, you true. Got to lose the titles, but you know, it only says Trooper at one part, I think. Not yeah, right at the times, very beginning. It's the only Trooper is still the character. That's yeah, only one title card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not no. like they're losing the name the Trooper in the movie. It's said a whole bunch. <laughs> the Trooper gonna get you. Watch out for the chooper. Ah, chooper. <laughs> yeah, Daniel has few sentences that do not contain the word chooper. <laughs> He's a man of few words, and one of those words is chooper. Well, most of these people only say the same thing over again. That's yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, it, arguably, uh, Tim has an even shorter uh, attention span and amount of dialogue. I want to buy that ranch. <laughs> I want to buy your ranch. <laughs> no. Well, but. I want to buy your is, ranch. Though. I want to buy the ranch, though. Yeah. He does not have uh, any ideas about it. Like, he, he has nothing further to sell her on. He's like, well, I'll tell you what. Your ranch sucks. It's terrible. It's never going to work. Let me buy it. Like, well, why do you want to buy it then? Like, the thing is, there's water under it. Anyway, let me buy it. I'm like, I don't want to sell it. Yeah, but let me buy it. Let me buy it. Hey, come over here. Let me buy it. Starts to walk away. Like, get over here. Let me buy it. And starts fighting. <laughs> and we don't really know. I mean, yeah, because there's water, but I don't see that there's that much of a commercial exploitation angle to this place. It does almost seem that he just really hates the blood shack itself. <laughs> Could be. And his whole um, game is to destroy the blood shack. Maybe it's him and da- and Daniel have some long-running feud that goes back generations. Well, we find out about that. We find out about... Well, there is a feud that goes back generations. Maybe they're the guys? Like the <laughs> last scions? That's what I'm thinking. Maybe. That's what's kind of implied. So after our title screen, um, we get... The first of many expository voiceovers. Yeah, the main main method of uh, information dump in this movie. Long, meandering voiceovers that often don't talk a lot about anything. Yeah, they, they kind of give you the, the information that you need to move the plot forward is in there sometimes. Yeah. But it's more like a dream narrative. Yeah, it, it it just kind of feels like it feels like a five year old telling you something. And then I went to the ranch and then I went to the store and then we went to the rodeo and then we got a pony. That is kind of the Ray Dennis Deckler style. Uh, his movies do not have a structure or an arc. They're just a series of things taking place. <laughs> Uh, Until they stop taking place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Each of these monologues is like five minutes long, probably. (laughs) Yeah, I guess those are where you get a lot of the cuts in uh, the Blood Shack version. Yeah, in the Blood Shack version, uh, this monologue 
that tells you the supposed origin of the Chooper. <laughs> Which, not really. Not really. Some of it's uh, in there. Maybe. Yeah, it, this monologue's gone. Uh, the title cards are gone. It's just yellow font on black background in the Blood Shack version. Right. Um, but we find out that the Chooper is an ancient uh, Native American spirit of vengeance because an innocent Native American boy was accidentally shot on in this shack by a... Um, some colonialist. Yeah. Some colonial, yeah. And so they called upon the spirit of vengeance. So the Chooper, not only is it a funny name, but they're trying to sell it as the name of the ancient fucking <laughs> native spirit. Right. Yeah, and it's it's a uh, you know because they they have the name Choop, uh, and they they came up with this Chooper when they were doing Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters because of the sound it makes. It's like, well, uh, how do, how do we use a name that stupid? Uh, like, oh, we'll, we'll make it part of the land. You know, it's an ancient myth. We had to use the name. Uh, the, the, the plot of it, the, the concept that is this Native American spirit of vengeance is really weird. And then you have Daniel who fervently believes in it. He's a, a major trooper supporter. Oh, he is 100% yes, the Chooper is – like, he is a true believer in the Chooper. And I mean, that's fair because he's kind of in the Chooper industry. It does seem like his job is hanging out in the yard and telling people to not go in the blood shack, even though he's really bad at that job and most people do go in the blood shack. <laughs> well, it wears on you. Like, you can't – you only hear about the times he fails, right? I don't know how many people he's actually turned away. True, but the thing is, it seems like his real money-making comes from <laughs> robbing the corpses left over by the trooper. And you are sort of left wondering a lot of the time, like, is Daniel the trooper? Because you don't really see them in the same place at the same time. You just see someone in an all-black costume with a sword uh, in the dark. And it's like, well, it could be Daniel. <laughs> I mean, there's... I Honestly, at the end of the movie, I'm still not certain it's not Daniel for some of them. <laughs> for some... Maybe. Maybe. Uh, there, there, was, there was a point where I was like, could be Daniel. I really wanted it to actually be a monster and actually look that stupid, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, I mean, you, you do get that in... If you were to watch, say, uh, the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies, uh, uh, that one's got some silly looking monsters in it. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. So after we hear about the the Chooper, the dark god of vengeance, uh, and some more meandering, uh, we get to the the Chooper man, which is, I guess, I the second intro song for the movie. Right, we see uh, Linda and Laura Steckler, uh, you know Steckler's kids, just oh really playing in the playing in the vast desolate landmass, and I guess Carolyn Brandt's kids too, right? Oh, I guess probably. I probably. I believe because they were married early on in his career, and then these kids, like the the youngest one, is uh, just a toddler in Lemon Grove Kids. Oh, okay. So, uh, I, I guess it must be. Uh, but 
yeah, so it's it's you know their kids hanging out in just this weird desolate wasteland with no parental involvement or oversight anywhere. And yeah, the song, I'm your Chuperman. Yeah, be your Chuperman. So we we watch them run through the ra- or the desert for the whole length of the song, which is a full length original composition. Yeah, it rocks. <laughs> it, it's pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. It is. It's a pretty good song. Good old uh, rockabilly track. And yeah, it's just them making their way from wherever they live in this desolate landscape to uh, the blood shack, because that's where they like to hang out for some reason. They they like to just hang out in this fucking <laughs> industrial yard where uh, everything's about to fall down and has been rotting for a century. You have this old water tower that uh, looks like it is going to give everybody tetanus. Uh, I think they want to go there because it's hilarious to hear Daniel go off about the chooper. Yeah, it's it's what he does. You know, he's like an alarm. (laughs) I mean, there's people he the dude can't sleep. There's people trying to get into that house every five minutes. There seems to be there's a lot of people trying to get into that shack for unclear reasons i mean each of them has an individual reason it's like i don't really get the first reason and then there's someone else whose reason involves that first reason you know so yeah and but these girls hanging out there like (laughs) they're not really hanging with daniel although they're very familiar with him obviously they've interacted with him many times yep and daniel has to you know stop whatever ranch work he does which i don't think he does any no, I don't think there is any. He just like will pick up garbage and throw it into a different spot when he's on his way by. Uh, his job does seem to be just general uh, blood shack warning or uh, cleaning up afterward. There is a monster out at Camp Crystal Lake. All right, I did my job. Yeah, he's doing one of the, well, that's that's more uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You have the guy at the gas station there. Or yeah, or Crazy Ralph. Uh, yeah, that's it. Crazy Ralph. There's a death curse on the blood <laughs> shack. Daniel's more like, get out of here. You don't go in there because the trooper will get you. And they're like, come on, that's stupid. That's not real. No, it's real. The trooper will get you. I tell you, if you just, <laughs> I don't know. He, he doesn't really uh, have any more <laughs> rationale behind it, but the trooper will get you. Yeah. He he, no further explanation or rationale for it. Just. But, you know, the trooper will get you. And he's not wrong, because maybe he is the trooper. <laughs> maybe he is. Uh, maybe. Well, it's revealed he's being the trooper, maybe. Um, we'll he's get in favor of the trooper. He is both a believer in the trooper and a supporter. I think uh, his motivation is weird i can't wait till we get to start well, motivations in general yeah i mean motivations in a ray dennis deckler movie are always peculiar because they're for the necessity of the plot but then there's not even a lot of plot to speak of it's very baroque so it's just i don't know i mean everybody has a certain drive in this movie <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense but it's there each person has one task to do and they sort of perform it in this endless circle uh, it's it's a uh, you know Strosek esque in that way too. Oh God! <laughs> All of them are the dancing chicken. Oh, those poor chickens. So uh, being thwarted in their plan to uh, go into the old blood shack yet again, 
they the girls decide to play musical chairs. <laughs> one like, person musical chairs with no or one chair musical chairs with two people and no music. <laughs> they're just running around this chair while like arguing about what the rules are for this theoretical musical chair game they're making up on the spot. Incredible. <laughs> it's Calvin Ball. It's brilliant. We watched the whole thing happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and that's one you can't lose. That's in both versions. All, that is in both, both versions. And they're um, just, like, doing this in the yard of the blood shack. Yeah, yeah, just in the yard. You can go... It's just some random rotten chair out in the yard, because why not? Yeah, yeah, Daniel's you, doing stuff. He's cleaning up place. He's leaning on a shovel. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got to have that shovel. You know, he, <laughs> you never know when he might need to dig a hole. For reasons. For reasons. For reasons. Well, digging the holes does seem to be a big part of his job here. That is true. That is true. Uh, at one point, they uh, <laughs> they find this bucket and they're like, do you think this is where Daniel does his laundry? I doubt <laughs> it. And I'm like, yeah, Daniel doesn't do his laundry. <laughs> Daniel has one uh, pair of pants, uh, like filthy jeans, an old jacket, a hat that's constantly blown off his head and no shirts. He does not own a shirt. I guarantee it. He's free balling it. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, yep. I, I'd say that's very likely. Yeah. <laughs> and those pants are disgusting. They are filthy, filthy jeans. <laughs> he is so gross. I bet. I bet there's no running water. I don't know if this guy showers. It's weird, like, he just lives in a shack adjacent, like, a a supplementary shack to the blood shack. Like, he doesn't, he lives in an outbuilding of a dilapidated hundred-year-old blood shack. <laughs> like, how he like, lives is totally inexplicable, because there doesn't seem to be any way for him to eat or drink or do anything other than like lean on a shovel and speak <laughs> with the chooper. It, it seems like maybe he's gone mad or he is just <laughs> isolated in this weird wilderness. You know, he's, you know, the, the, the end point of Randolph Scott's character in our previous movie spends way too much time out there in uh Sassabee Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, Doretta, the chooper will get you. Watch the out, chooper Frank. Will get you. Henry Silva as the Trooper. <laughs> so next we have our uh, our hapless teens, or well, one hapless teen and two people who decided way too late into the plan that they didn't want any part of it. Yeah, very bizarre. Uh, a hot rod just like burns up to this middle of nowhere fucking shack and the girl who's with them is so into going into the blood shack. And they're like, I don't know. Like, why did you come all the way out here? It's your car. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we really need to stay the night in this haunted house. <laughs> and it's like, the other two teens like are just like, is that what we're doing out here? Okay, but are they teens? Because isn't... Well, actually, isn't no. One of them, I guess... It later turns out that one of them is her husband. Well, a different guy is her husband. Oh, that's uh, a different dude? Okay, yeah, yeah she's just hanging dude. out with these guys, right. Yeah, and one's got, like, a clockwork orange hat. Hell yeah. <laughs> Classic bowler. Yeah, so they, they just, like, 
<laughs> I have no idea why they came all the way out here to the middle of nowhere with her to spend the night in the blood shack, even though they're like, no, we don't want to do that. And I think she makes them some sort of bet, but they're like, no, we don't care. We're not interested. I'm like, fine, screw you. Why don't you leave? And Daniel has already come. I was like, no, you got to leave. The trooper will get you. Oh, no, Daniel doesn't come up to warn her until after her ride. Did oh, he, he does wait until after. I thought he came up first. But yeah, so nope. they they just <laughs> they, leave. They leave. They drive away. And then she's, yeah, she's very convinced that she is going to spend the night in the blood shack. And he's like, no, the, the rumors you've heard are true. Now don't spend the night in there or you will die. No, I'm going to spend the night here. Um he never once uses the argument of this is private property and I'll call the police. Right. That's what I'm talking about. He has nothing substantial to back it up with, even though he could absolutely say that. I mean, he's not going to call the police, but it's, it's just, but the trooper will get you. The trooper will get you. And eventually he just kind of gives up. He's like, well, fine, stay, but the trooper will get you and you'll deserve it. Right. Uh, which, again, kind of reinforces him. It's maybe he's supposed to be a red herring almost, but I, I feel when Ray Dennis Steckler does something like use a red herring, it's never quite the, the, quite meets the eye. Uh, so it's it, it just seems like he maybe is also it. Like, it's not that he's a red herring. It's just he is a trooper. That there, there are troopers. Oh. Or it could be that he transforms into the trooper. I feel that he doesn't transform. He doesn't. I, I think both Tim and Daniel are playing this trooper game. Uh, I don't know if they're aware of each other doing it. Oh, yeah. No, Tim is definitely... Uh, he's in favor of the trooper myth more than... In, well, Daniel's in favor of the trooper yeah, like uh, Tim is use, is interested in using the myth of the trooper to drive people away so that, well, honestly, I don't know, because it doesn't seem like driving people away is going to do anything towards him being able to buy the ranch from uh, Carol, because <laughs> she just doesn't <laughs> want to sell it. It's not that she's using it. It's not that she wants people to come there. It's not that she wants to fill the corral with horses. <laughs> she, she just doesn't like... want to sell it, dude. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, that's sort Um, of the damnedest thing is that, like, I guess sort of spoilers is that ultimately uh, Tim is revealed to be a trooper. You know, there is a battle that that uh, unmasks the trooper and it is Tim. But I don't understand his end game. Honestly, (laughs) I really don't. It doesn't make any sense. Why would. Killing people in the blood shack make him have any more luck with purchasing the blood shack. Well, it would devalue the land because of the murder myths, so he could buy it cheaper if it but ever they, came on sale. They already go back centuries. Like, that's going to start driving <laughs> up those prices. It's now, like, a notable home for that regard. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's, an, it's a real haunted house. Yeah, that's true. That would, uh, people would be into that. That This is already yeah. the 70s. I feel like you, you're going to start to be able to bank on that. You can, like, film movies there. Oh, maybe he's just laying the groundwork, and then he wants to, like, scare her with the myth and then drive up the value with 
I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking about this way too deep. I'm going to start Tim Bear's Diner. And <laughs> we eventually, you know, Five Nights at Timmy's. Oh. Uh, so we have our, basically our only scene inside the shack. Right. Where we which, see the hideous, filthy mattress. The worst Super. mattress in Scotland or uh, America, I guess. It's disgusting. It's so stained. It's so old. It probably just was really in the shack when they arrived <laughs> to film there. Uh, it really feels like just found location stuff. Uh, so gross. This uh, is a dirty, gross shack to begin with. It It is a hundred-year-old abandoned shack in the middle of, like, the Las Vegas. The, the Mojave, I guess it would be. Um, I, I guess so, yeah. Nevada? I think it's just the Nevada desert. I don't know. I think I it's should know. It's probably the Mojave. Yeah, so and then she's got a sleeping bag, but she strips <sighs> down naked and... Well, she's not naked. She goes or not she naked, down to yeah. underwear, right. which is too much to begin with. I wouldn't even take off shoes in that place. But she <laughs> strips down to her underwear and she lays on the mattress under the sleeping bag. I was uh, outraged. Skin to mattress contact. So filthy and disgusting. You have, like, lady, you've got a sleeping bag. Go inside yeah. the sleeping bag. You don't know how it's used. This is the most I'm, truly horrific moment in the movie. Truly scarier than any monster or anything. And, and it comes up again when the children play on the bed. Oh, yeah, that's right. That, that's right. There is one other scene in the shack, but it's very brief because Daniel's got to chase them out of there or the trooper will get them. <laughs> the trooper will get them. <sighs> so we, we watch her getting scared and reacting to all these noises for so long that it literally put me in a trance and I just was just absorbed in it. Uh, there was nothing outside of these wind noises and this woman getting scared. Yeah, it goes on for some time. It really builds a mood. And then the trooper shows up and you don't really see much other than a sword. Yeah. Now, the thing about the trooper when he shows up is he... Uh, Slasher villains need a few things to be successful. Um, one of the things you need is you need to know how to make an entrance. He just, he never does. He just runs in from off camera going, Rawr. well, he does the exact same thing every time. And I guess in a sense, he sort of does have a signature because uh, every time you see him, he is running full tilt, just like a gargantua. <laughs> He's got the sword raised directly above his head, uh, straight up. Like he, <laughs> like he was hand. to stab with a knife. <laughs> yeah, like straight up, uh, one hand above his head with the knife or the sword straight forward, uh, running full tilt, uh, like no swaying of the arms, just like running full <laughs> tilt. So weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and he's always like just off camera somewhere where the characters would be able to see but because we can't they can't yeah <laughs> and and he like runs in and starts attacking so quickly that i haven't even processed that the scene has changed and suddenly it's like because i've been this trance suddenly she's getting stabbed and they're chasing it i'm like wait the monster's here oh right i'm watching a monster movie because we're at the 20 minute mark now right it takes quite a surprising amount of time to get there considering 
how nothing at all happens in that period of time. Like literally zero <laughs> things take place. Uh, and then it's so shaky and it's so dark and it's so hard to see what's going on. It's like, what, what is happening? It's the chaos of the trooper. Yeah. It's, it's actually kind of a decent scene because you can't, because it's so dark and you can't really get a feel for what is going on. Like it's humanoid, but it, could still be monstrous at this point so it, it's kind of scary a little bit it's, it's a good way of using the limitations of the film like you know you got a really low budget you got a really bad monster costume so you shoot it in near total darkness uh really fast paced and just have blood and darkness and motion and screaming and you know that that's pretty effective yeah. Especially when yeah. you spent a whole lot of time building up the vibe. Mm-hmm. One thing that the blood shack cut does that uh, the trooper cut does not do is always in the blood shack, the music builds to a crescendo when the trooper's about to arrive. Right. Even though visually nothing is indicating that he's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of been rescored for uh, more immediate effect it's it's got kind of a driving score in that way i mean not really but it's got still you know some momentum built through score where the original version just isn't interested in doing that it's <laughs> yeah, not the, the vibe it's going for yeah yeah the trooper attacks are sudden so and like unexpected you you're not supposed to be able to predict them coming and and in the original score or the original cut you can't because the music isn't giving it away yeah, the music's just doing its own thing, as are, I think, that, that's the beauty of a Ray Dennis Steckler movie, is just, it's a whole bunch of different disparate pieces doing their own thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything is its own thing, and it's just, like, existing, and, you know, one part might happen to uh, collide with another, and then you get into a different portion of the movie. <laughs> oh, well, we're about, we're at the 20-minute mark on our 70-minute movie, and we are just about to meet our main character <laughs> carolyn or carol carolyn brandt as carol yeah so um little a side one interesting thing about the blood shack cut is that the opening 20 minutes are completely different order we begin with the girl getting killed and that's the first scene like yeah. her arriving getting abandoned and then we get the children playing and then well, we, we get Daniel burying her first. I oh, think, yeah, too. you're right. We Has do. that happened? Does that happen before we meet Carol? I think so. Oh, you might be right, actually. Because he comes back the next morning and he finds things like, oh. I told you, I told you the trooper would get you. I told you. You're right. You're right. Uh, that happens. That happens first. Uh, but but yeah, the, the little girl scene and the lady getting killed scene are in different order and in the blood shack cut we lose the opening narrative so the Explain, first 20 minutes yeah. are like completely different heavily rearranged yeah although a lot yeah. of the same stuff is still there uh yeah. but yeah uh, so the, the he he finds her body and he takes it out to bury it we see him take the money off it like it, uh, it is explicitly clear that he's like well you're not gonna need it where you're going I sure am glad that you don't need the money there, Chooper, because I sure do. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like him blaming blaming an alter ego. It's like, well, Could, no, he doesn't yeah. need the money. 
than I do. And like, he does need the money. He has no other source of income, but killing people as the trooper. Yeah. Like the owner of the ranch died. So he's not getting paid by him. Yeah. like uh, This is why he doesn't want the house to get torn down. It's a, it's like uh, a roach motel. He gets just stupid people who <laughs> show up and he tells them like, if you go in there, I am going to kill you. And it's like, no, 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 I don't believe that. And then they go in there and he kills them and he takes their money. Do you think he sizes them up before before they go into the house and determines just how just how badly he's going to try to keep them out based on based on a number of factors? I like, don't know. Uh, say, Daniel doesn't seem to have uh, I, I none of these people seem like they have any sort of money. This this hippie lady who shows up with these two guys without her own vehicle. Uh, <laughs> I, there, there's nothing to suggest that she has any money. I think it's just Daniel will go for anything he can get. I, I mean, <laughs> if we're assuming that he is a trooper after all, and I do kind of think he is. <laughs> uh, I, I would have to say that he would just kill anyone who is in there because he is a true believer. I don't know that he is necessarily if we were to say that he is the trooper, and I'm going to go with that as my uh, personal opinion on the movie, that he is not consciously the trooper. He is not aware that he has this alter ego. He just sort of uh, switches, and he's he is the trooper for a while. Okay, um, that does kind that does make sense because otherwise. Uh, otherwise, Tim Foster would have to be camped out outside, like, 24-7 outside the blood shack. Which we know Daniel is. It's literally where he lives. He lives in the blood shack yard. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so, uh, otherwise he would, like, so much more sense. he'd miss a victim. <laughs> right. If he and wasn't there 24-7, because you never know when. There's people showing up all the time, but you never know when they're going to show up. Right, and it also especially tracks for the kids is that he chases them out of the shack as Daniel rather than coming after them as the trooper because he knows there is no profit in killing them. <laughs> I just imagine, like, somebody with, like, a top hat and a monocle comes in, yes, I would like to stay in the mansion. Oh, don't do it. The trooper's going to get you anyway. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like he would not even warn someone if he uh, knew. Uh, but... You know, he's he's doing the warnings. He's he's doing the due diligence. <laughs> this well, this way he can't be blamed because you know he warned them. They didn't listen. That's true, and that that's that's how he frames it. And he's like, well, you deserved it because you didn't listen to me, uh, which that's eh, kind of serial killer logic to begin with. Uh, and he's got you know he's probably very used to burying bodies out in the desert. He's been doing it a whole lot. Yeah. So after he takes her money and buries her and all that, uh, that's when we meet Carolyn Brandt. As Carol. Uh, yeah. We watch <laughs> kind of her, as herself. Yeah, kind of as herself. We watch her enter town. Uh, we watch her meet up with Daniel. And while we're watching all this, we hear the voiceover about how she inherited the ranch from her Uncle Jim and decided to move down here after her two failed marriages and um, an incident in the horror movie industry. <laughs> yeah, she she spent some time making some crappy horror movies with Cash Flag, uh, <laughs> which, which we will, like, they, they get into a little bit later. I think that's around the rodeo period where they yes. visit the place. But, uh, yeah, and she is just 
never saying a word. We're completely in her head. It sort of becomes Carol POV movie. Yeah, after this point, uh, and this is the first bit of narration that shows up in the Blood Shack cut because the other one's cut. Right. Uh, but after this point, we basically don't see any dialogue except a little bit of Tim in his intro scene, really, and Daniel warning people. Everything yeah, else you, is voiceover. You, you get a whole lot of Daniel talking about the trooper and talking to the trooper out on the out on the trooper uh, porch. Yep. Those are some of my favorite scenes of the movie, honestly. When his hat keeps blowing off, that's great. Yeah. But yeah, so much of it is just Carol in her head. And we see her and Daniel walk from one end of the horizon to the other while (laughs) she narrates something totally unrelated. It's just like them walking and just like thinking about all of the things going on in the movie, which is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's not even aware of the killings until the very, very end. Yeah. It's very strange. Like like she doesn't even realize that she's in a movie about the trooper. She thinks she's in a movie about starting a new life in a ranch and having fun at a rodeo. Yeah, and there's these two kids who I think are her actual kids, like in real life, but with the husband who's the movie director who she's getting divorced from in this movie, and it's like she's <laughs> hanging out with the kids and she likes the kids and like, oh, they, uh, they they're like they could have been my kids in a different life. I'm like, yeah, they <laughs> are your kids in this life. This is so weird. <laughs> well, maybe a different life where she's well, not sort of being a different stalked life. by the trooper. Well, well, wait, she's not she being isn't. stalked by the trooper. <laughs> She's just hanging out here and narrating. <laughs> she eventually is involved with it because she won't sell the ranch. <laughs> uh, so right after we're done meeting her and getting her like three minute intro monologue, uh, they drive up to the ranch and who's already waiting there. But Tim Foster. I'd Tim like to wants, buy your ranch. <laughs> Tim wants one thing and one thing only. And I'm and not sure disgusting. if he even knows why. <laughs> guys only want one thing and it's disgusting i want to buy your ranch uh yeah it's just there there is nothing else he wants he is exclusively on this the damnedest thing is that for a while carol is considering him as a potential mate she's like well tim was kind of handsome and i was sort of interested in him but i wish he would stop uh, bothering me about the ranch like what else are you talking about? Him? What is going Why? All he's ever said to you is, I want to buy your ranch. And I, I don't even know. Whatever. <laughs> take a take a shot every time he says, I want to buy your ranch. You will not survive the movie. It's a lot. Yeah, because he'll say it like five or six times in a scene. Yeah. You have I, to pound him back. I was counting and I lost count at like 13. Yeah, he just goes on about it. It's it's the only thing he's interested in. It's like if you were to take a shot every time Daniel said trooper, you'd fucking <laughs> have brain God. death. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what it boils down to is he wants to buy the ranch. Yes, he would she like to buy that ranch. She doesn't want to sell it. Nope. And Daniel is just like, didn't you hear she don't want to sell it? Yeah, I mean, Daniel has a vested interest in uh, the ranch staying free. You know, he works there, and he's worked there for generations, I guess. Like, it's in the family. <laughs> he so, doesn't look that old, though. 
No, I guess like you know, he his father did this before him, probably. Oh, probably, and his father Chooping before is a family him. Business, yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is sort of his job either way. Like, I I do figure if Ron were to buy the place, he would not be keeping Daniel around. Oh God, no. See, <laughs> the thing about the thing about uh, Tim, he's like. I absolutely hate Daniel and I hate his guts and he's wrong about absolutely everything, but the trooper is still 100% real. He's like, no, but he is right about this. The trooper he's is right real. And that's, trooper. that's why we should tear this place down. That's we why you should put sell it to it rest. To yeah. yeah. Sell it to me. I'll just, I guess, deal with the trooper somehow. It stops being your problem. No, he, <laughs> that's too compelling of an argument. He never so, gets that far. Flash of inspiration. What if, Believing in the trooper is what makes one the trooper. Because the two people who believe in the trooper are Tim and Daniel. Mm. <laughs> and I think Actually, both of them are troopers. <laughs> well, it makes more sense than this somehow helping him buy the ranch. No, it makes no sense at all. I don't understand his plot. It's a real question marks profit kind of plot that he has. See, it only it only works if the ranch is for sale to begin with. Yes, um, and the ranch is completely not for sale, and no one has suggested that it would be. He just <laughs> finally has met someone who owns it, and he's like, I would like <laughs> to buy this ranch. I'm like, no, no, no. But, but ma'am, I would like to buy this ranch. <laughs> Let me put forth tower. this concept. Use oh. the ranch to me. <laughs> <laughs> that water teller, that water tower might fall over. I want to buy right the ranch. Right on top of you. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, th- this corral, it has no horses in it. And it'll never have horses in it. You want to know why? Because you're going to sell the ranch to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not. And then, like, in her voice, I was like, there was something really alluring about Tim. Like, what? <laughs> that part. <laughs> yeah like nothing and no on-screen chemistry between them either (laughs) yeah they've never said anything to each other other than conversations about him wanting to purchase the ranch and her not interested in selling it it's like no i moved here to hang out here i kind of wanted to uh live in this landscape for a while so how this first conversation about buying the ranch ends, and it's about as long as we've been talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it ends with him being like, okay, well, you know, you just got here. You haven't found out how crampy the ranch is yet. I'll come talk to you later. And he just kind of gives up for right. now. For now. He'll <laughs> Definitely be for, oh, he will be back. And... <laughs> And Daniel's like, hey, why don't uh, why don't you come over for dinner? I'll make some biscuits. You like biscuits? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like for half a second, his brain just short circuits because he's in. I want to buy the ranch mode and never got into friendly good neighbor mode. He never just act. <laughs> and he's like just now realizing that he's got to activate that gear. And he's like, yes, biscuits. I love like, oh, yeah. All right. Sure. Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, and, and I guess it's stuff that we, that does not take place in <laughs> scenes that we see <laughs> that make him seem vaguely alluring or charming to her. Well, you know, <laughs> well, you know, that if they ever did have the biscuits, the, it would just be like, you know, what goes goes good with gravy? 
or with biscuits, gravy. And you know what goes good with gravy? Selling me the ranch. Oh, little ranch. <laughs> yeah, uh, weird. It's just very strange. So this is all before she even set foot in the house that she's going to be living in. Right. <laughs> and uh, and Daniel shows her uh, her room, which was the uncle's room, which is the room with all the movie posters. Right. OK. So that, and all, and that's where she mentions that she was married to Cash Flag, which is Ray Dennis Tegler. He directed this one under a pseudonym, too, uh, in in the opening credits, he's credited as Wolfgang Schmidt <laughs> you know, to give it more of a European flavor, you know, sort of a Euro art house alienation thing. You know, if I were t- if you told me this were made by European, I'd believe it. Sure. I can see this being a Jose Ramon Larraz movie for sure. Although <laughs> someone would have to get more naked. There would there would need to be some nudity. <laughs> so while they're discussing the uh the movie posters and everything pertaining to her movie star background is completely taken out of the blood shack uh, cut. Right. Well, that, that so, whole scene, because we, we don't see that yeah. sequence. Uh, and she's she's describing her death scene in one of the previous movies, I believe, Thrill Killers. Yeah, yeah. That actually happens later. She's talking to the kids at the rodeo. Oh, it. yeah. It's the kids she's talking to it about. Yeah. So she has two different... Uh, two different discussions about her movie star career and manages to bring up her failed marriages in both of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on her mind. She's <laughs> in the desolation of the blood shack. Yeah. And while she's doing this, Tim is ominously wandering around the ranch, which I kind of feel like this is what he's doing whenever he's not talking to her about buying it. I guess so. And it's weird that, uh, that Daniel is not shooing him away. Well, they're talking about movies right now. Oh, right. So Daniel isn't there. Maybe he is watching it a lot of the time for Daniel to uh, be absent for him to wander the, the blood shack. Yeah. There's not a lot of places where he could, where he could dress up as a trooper man and hide. Daniel would catch him instantly. Like well, he, it's got, it's the fucking corner gas theme song joke. You know, if your dog ran away and it took three days, you know, it, you can see a fucking thousand miles. There is <laughs> emptiness all around the blood shack. It's You're going to see a car coming. You're going to see a person coming. Oh, you see cars coming from so far away. <laughs> As illustrated with that opening thing with the girl and the two hippies. Like, you see that car coming from an incredibly long way off, and you see it driving away for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you got to watch the whole thing of them driving away until they disappear over the horizon. It's like that, uh, that JonTron joke. Like, can't we just know they drove there? Absolutely no. not. <laughs> no. That nope. is not how this movie works. We need to see it. it. It's it's illustrative because it does provide us with this. Well, like, how could anyone be? How could Tim be the trooper? Because how could he arrive here unseen? It's literally impossible. Except yeah, he would have to. He would have to drive up without Daniel knowing somehow. <laughs> and Daniel doesn't sleep. I'm sure of it. Daniel has nothing better to do than hang out in the yard. That That is literally his whole life. He hangs out in the yard, uh, standing on this shovel. Sometimes people come by and he tells them to go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
he does have to leave town or leave the ranch for a little bit because he goes to take out the trash. And, and oh, I remember man. taking a break because I'm thinking we're going to watch him drive all the way to the dump to take this trash out, aren't we? Uh, turns out we don't, but we do watch no, him we're drive. Not really, the, the thing is, we don't really see much outside of the blood shack environs other yes. than the rodeo. Yes. Uh, but Carol begins wandering towards the house and she seems drawn to it for some reason. I wonder the if mystical maybe pull of the trooper. Yeah. I don't know. What's so what's so fascinating about the forbidden closet of mystery? I don't really know why she would have any real interest. Uh, it just does seem to be a psychic emanation kind of thing. She's just drawn to the destruction. The uh, the sort of central concept in this with the blood shack being this place that people are drawn to to go to die does feel like more of a European art house conceit where people are just drawn to their own self-destruction. I, I have a theory about this, about what keeps drawing people to the blood shack. So... There's a fungus that infects ants, right? And it reproduces them. It takes over their brain and makes them crawl up to like where the wherever the fungus wants to grow. Right, right. And then it uh, the fungus grows out of them and then it, you know, produces more spores, infects more ants. So yeah. the fungus has infected the chooper. And the fungus, of course, originates from the mattress. Mm, right. Okay. I see where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the trooper kills him. Oh, but that doesn't work because then Daniel keeps burying him. The mattress can't eat the people. No, you think it's like a deathbed kind of deal. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I feel just. I I think it's just it's more metaphorical than anything. I think this is a movie that can be read in a lot of interesting metaphorical ways in terms of uh, the marriage dissolution and uh, the two potential troopers as also potential suitors. Uh, and <laughs> it, just the, 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 this place that they're all drawn to, and there's no reason for anyone to be drawn to it. There is no allure <laughs> to it is this rundown shack. There is nothing in it. We've, We've seen inside it a few times. The only thing that's in it is an absolutely disgusting mattress. There's no reason you'd want to be there. Uh, the only reason you want to be there is for self-destructive reasons. Yeah, like like for the legend to prove either, yeah, to self-destruct or to prove you're better than the legend. Which just doesn't really seem to be the case of any of these people, even like they, even this first girl. She's like, well, I, I want to see if it's true. And it's not like she's even trying to prove anything. Just like, well, I just want to know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I could relate to that. I guess. Just the, like, you know, the interest of knowing. And th there is that sort of thing where, you know, people do ghost hunt and stuff. But mm -hmm. it, it, within this movie, the people drawn to it, like especially Carol being drawn to it, it does really feel like uh, just the this weird magneticism to the place but for no real reason other than the plot and so you have to wonder if there's some sort of metaphor to it yeah actually because she's not drawn to it because of the trooper legend because she doesn't, she doesn't even know about it yet well she knows about it a little bit but yeah. she doesn't really care it's not it's not part of her life her narration doesn't talk about it yeah. except for the very beginning one yeah 
like she's not thinking about the trooper legend. It's just like, oh yeah, some weird old old wives' tale, whatever. Yeah, she's just drawn to it. Uh, yeah. But then, so does she actually get inside before uh, uh, Daniel shows up? She's like, you can't be in here. The tuber will get you. <laughs> um, it's it's not the it's not Daniel that scares her away this time. It's the oh, two it's the children. Kids. The kids yeah. Playing, yeah. Yeah. Where they have their uh, exposition dialogue in the uh, doorway of the mansion where one child very awkwardly uh, relates a story about. I don't know. Someone just getting killed inside the Chooper house. Yeah, uh, it's kind of the way this movie is told. It's very roundabout. It's a, uh, uh, it's one of those family circus, or family is it family circus or family circle? Because it's in a circle. I think it's family circus. I think it's family circus. Uh, the the Sunday ones where you see Jeffy coming home from, <laughs> coming home from something, and you just see the path go uh, a thousand different places. That's the way she tells a story, that's the way a kid comes home, and that's the way Ray Dennis Steckler makes a movie. <laughs> so it's the after talking about the person getting killed, the children, they begin bouncing on the bed, and I'm like, oh, kids, get away from oh, it. Yeah. At least they have shoes on. <laughs> yeah. And, and Daniel runs in and lunges after them, and he asks. Ah, his shirtless skin on the mattress and (laughs) that mattress is going to get so dirty after touching him. Yeah. uh, I wonder if like he does kind of sleep in there on nights when nobody, (laughs) there's nobody else around to uh, uh, get in the way of the trooper. Uh, Maybe that's why it's so filthy. uh, That's his, that's his house when uh, (laughs) nobody's around to claim it against him. But (laughs) yeah, this is the thing where I kind of feel like maybe Daniel really has to be the trooper because they are in the shack for as much as many other people are. Some people don't even get inside the shack. They're just hanging around outside and the trooper comes after them. So that these kids are jumping on the mattress in the blood shack does seem to mean that they should get troopered. But Daniel shows up and chases them away instead. Yeah. Um... Although it is also broad daylight. But that doesn't really well, the trooper other times. At this point, we don't attacks. know that. Yeah, that's true. This is only we, the second trooper attack or potential trooper attack of the film. Yeah, no, the, the first trooper attack happens at 16 minutes and the second happens at like 38. It's surprising how uh, little happens in between. Yeah. A lot of voiceovers, a lot of people walking. I think we get some rodeo in there. Uh, I do believe we get rodeo before kill number two, but uh, actually, yes. Uh, so we have another scene of a uh, long expository dialogue. This time we, we get the story of like how the two great grandfathers uh, had a feud over the land and they did a gambling thing. But the one guy said the other one cheated. So they did a shootout and. Yeah, the the one Carol's grand, great grandfather won, and I guess Tim has a grudge supposedly. Right. So Tim is the other descendant, and Daniel is just Daniel. the trooper, I guess. He lives on the <laughs> land. Uh, he's There's a always a Daniel. Yeah, it, it seems like he is supposed to be in the long line of butlers. You know, he he would have been his dad was the butler for carol's or his his great-grandfather was uh the the house servant of 
uh, her great grandfather. But even though I, I guess we should clarify, because you've at times described it as a mansion, uh, it's it is just a rundown shack. Like it is oh, a shit. garbage no. shack in in the middle of the desert. It is uh, it, it looks like a shed, arguably. It it makes the Evil Dead cabin look nice. Like there is uh, an image on the Blood Shack cover art where, where again we've talked about how the its rendition of the trooper itself is uh, obviously far far off uh its vision of the shack is equally far off it makes it look much more uh complete it, it has <laughs> like different angles and stuff it is just like a square there isn't even much of a porch there's not <laughs> like railings and stuff it is very very simple oh <laughs> If I've been saying mansion, I haven't meant to. You you have a couple times. <laughs> Maybe I meant to say ranch. Oh, could be. Yeah, uh, I could see that wire getting crossed. Ranching. Uh, ranching. Because that's. But what I wanted to clarify because house yeah. servant. Uh, <laughs> it's mm. weird that Daniel has is out there to maintain this shack. Like it is very much a shack. <laughs> It is like one step above the lean to that uh, that the guys in the tall tee were staying at. Yeah, it looks like the place that uh, Charlie Chaplin stays in in the Gold Rush. Oh, haven't seen that. Oh, good movie. Mm. Yeah, so we get like the whole entire history of the Hatfields and McCoys, which I summed up a lot. Yeah, or the whatever their family names there. Yeah, are. it's. These guys, it's it's something like yeah. that. It, it doesn't really matter. It's completely no. extraneous information unless we are to believe that the myth of the trooper, you know, even if we do believe that the myth of the trooper is real, it doesn't matter. It's not part of this. It, it, yeah, it has nothing to do with it. It's just like, well, you know, and then there's this whole story background. And that's why Tim wants to buy the ranch. But Tim has all sorts of reasons for wanting to buy the ranch. It's his sole character property. <laughs> yeah, uh, turns. Yeah. We're going to find out later through more expository dialogue why this ranch is so great or supposedly so great. Water. I mean, that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Water under it. I get that water. So that night she sleepwalks towards the house and. That's it. That's about all that happens. She's yeah, she doesn't actually get to it. No, uh, Daniel shakes her awake and is like, ah, the trooper will get you. Watch out, wake up. The trooper's going to get you. Oh, oh. <laughs> and then now, the best part of the movie, rodeo time. Real rodeo footage. It's like, well, there's a rodeo in town. We have a movie that's pretty short. <laughs> we can pad it out by having them all go to the rodeo and, like, writing narration about it. Yeah, uh, something, something, you know, uh, perhaps if I were to disguise this footage... As a movie, uh, you know, it, it's a real crusty burger, steamed ham sort of situation. <laughs> We're going to go just take some vacation footage of this rodeo and then we'll narrate more over that. Because that's mostly what we've been doing. We've been showing people doing something that's totally unrelated to the narration. It's like, well, why not some rodeo footage? <laughs> but, but the narration... I wouldn't say the narration matches the rodeo footage, but the it's still sometimes is, talking about the rodeo. Yeah, it, that is, it is talking about the rodeo. 
there are fewer uh, more. It's probably the most false line in the entire movie where she says the thing. Of, you, you, you quoted it in the first part, the uh, <laughs> about the the fast and furious action of the rodeo. <laughs> oh, the rodeo was continuing along at a fantastic pace. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. <laughs> oh, she has more to say about the rodeo than she has about anything that's happened to her in this movie so far. Um, she just narrates the footage of the rodeo. Basically, she's saying that yeah. this happened, and the kids really like this. They bought a pony, and they named it Peanuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so while they're at the rodeo, um, Tim no- shows up, and he would like to buy the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> Not this time, although. It's oh, a that's good guess. the other time at the. Uh, that's the other rodeo. Statistically, you know, yeah, it's the it's where you want to place your bets. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, they haven't gone to the rodeo yet. They've just talked about it. We have the team or the the first victim's husband, I guess. Right. Shows yeah, up. he he does say that he is the husband. I'm looking for my wife. <laughs> I know she went in there. It's like, well, you can see from the outside all the way through to the other side. She's not in there now, buddy. Like, I'm going to stay in this blood shack. She ain't here, and the trooper will get you. Which should be enough. She's obviously not here. There, there's there's so few places she could be. But Yeah, well, I'm going to stay the night. Yeah, I'm going to stay the night and make sure. How? What? That doesn't make any sense. And, of course, then the trooper gets him very rapidly. Like, he doesn't have to stay the night. The trooper gets him immediately. Oh, yeah, this one. <laughs> I don't think he even makes it inside. No, he gets inside. Uh, we see this one oh, yes. just from the porch. The trooper, the runs, trooper in runs immediately in. after him. <laughs> yeah, we see him go inside and then the trooper running after him. Like, you should see, like, uh, it's the only time Daniel wears a shirt is when he's the trooper, right? You should see, like. <laughs> a flap of like the previous clothing as he's running with the sword above his head while he's just like kind of tucking it in. Well, at this point it has to be Daniel because otherwise Daniel would see whoever it is. Yeah. He just walked away. It's like, he has to be like hurriedly pulling it on or he is standing back over there watching. He's like, this is why I know the trooper is real. I see him do this all the time. Yeah. The trooper will get you. But it isn't until, like, the next day or dusk or something when he finds this guy. He comes back. He's like, I told you. He does the whole thing again. It's just him yelling off screen this time. Like, we just, we know he's finding the bodies. We can just assume. It's like, I told you. I told you the trooper would get you. Why don't you ever listen? (laughs) It's always... So surprising when the trooper comes because I'm always used to horror music. Just, just it's some just kind of always clue. the same sound going. Yeah, like, but uh, like it's never. There's no musical sting or anything for the trooper. It doesn't even do, do the when he walks by the screen or anything. No, or it's any just kind of like sting when he races <laughs> into the door. It's just like. Still doing the. <laughs> the only thing you get is him going. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can't see it, but like every time I do it, I'm always holding my hand up. <laughs> I automatically, every time I've talked about it, I've 
Put that hand up in the air, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is where the about the only place. So yeah, the second kill is 38 minutes in. I wrote it down. That makes about sense, yeah. There aren't a ton of them. There are surprisingly few. Yeah, this isn't a slasher movie. Um, it's it's like a land deal movie disguised as a slasher movie, but it's not even really that. It's well, just, this is before the slasher movie existed. Oh, yeah, this is true. 71. That's right. So the rodeo, right? Yeah, the rodeo. <laughs> She's still narrating the hell out of it. Uh, yeah, they get a pony. Peanuts. Um, Peanuts, Peanuts the yeah. pony as itself. Yeah, she's like, oh, the spirit of the Old West was really alive today. The American <laughs> flag never felt more American. <laughs> I believe this is also where she's wearing the American flag outfit. Uh, I do believe so. Yeah, she's got like these tight American flag pants. Yeah, those are great. <laughs> but yeah, there's like nothing going on. It's it's just rodeo footage, rodeo footage, rodeo footage. It's like we had a rodeo in town when we were making this movie. <laughs> Gonna put some ellipses around movie. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, like, hey, let's let's put some rodeo footage in there. That's some real legitimately free production value. And or there, like there's a part where she's it's like, boy, it was I think it might be with the the line about how uh, fast paced it was that she's like, I wish I had a camera. It's like, you do have a camera. That's why we're watching this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone did. It's like and next came the cow, the real cowboys. Now that the amateurs were done performing, like it's it's really that specific. The narration. Yeah, it's like one of those old Olympic films. Just like, oh, and this happened and then this happened. And we'd see these people I'm like, OK, yeah. all right uh why what's the what's the, hey, this to do and I'm like nothing it doesn't matter and then uh is it after this that they have the fight uh no the the fight no the fight is after the second rodeo yeah because <laughs> there's two yeah. rodeo sequences there's in this two movie. rodeo sequences and they're each about <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes long i'm not joking they're kind of the core of the film honestly uh, the movie would be lesser without them, and that's why they're in true. the short version. It is true. They 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 do kind of add a special flavor to it. They are important. One thing that she does mention that's related to the main plot while the rodeo is happening is she's talking about Tim and you know how she'd like to invite him over for a drink and all that stuff, but he's been getting increasingly aggressive. I wonder what's going on in his mind behind those weird sunglasses of his. Oh, like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. He's always wearing sunglasses. Yeah, and it's like, hmm, what thoughts are running through his mind? I want to buy that I, ranch. I can, yeah. <laughs> You'll get him. Yeah, he's been speaking his thoughts all along. It's like, madam, I would like to buy the ranch. You, you, you really do not need to look deep to uh, find his motivation. <laughs> he's out there speaking his truth every day. <laughs> Next is the sheriff. After oh, right. The, the first... sheriff goes to investigate the, the mysterious yeah. disappearances. Yeah. After the first rodeo, uh, the sheriff comes along and talks to Carol and is like, hey, uh, these two missing kids or guys, I guess. I think I he does call them missing kids and it does seem like they're a teen, but he, the guy totally says she's his wife. Yeah. So I don't know. It's 
maybe they just have a really weird relationship dynamic. I mean, Reese Witherspoon's character in Freeway was engaged at 15. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, hey, they disappeared around here. Um, mind if I go check inside the blood shack? And she's like, oh. No, I don't Daniel mind. Always, what does Daniel always say about the blood shack? Sure, go on in. Chooper won't get you. That sounds you, like what he you, says. You should see, like, a thought bubble appear and, like, showing one of the earlier scenes. And, like, <laughs> stay out of there. The trooper will get you. And he's like, I think it's probably fine. And then, like, you, you see, like, sunglasses descend from the clouds. And, like, fuck the police. Fuck, fuck the police. <laughs> <laughs> the sheriff goes in and gets troopered. He gets troopered. So the trooper was... On the roof of the blood shack. Oh, yeah, he was on the roof this time. <laughs> he jumps down and, like, and he choops him from above. <laughs> the sheriff even goes to pull out his gun and he just kicks it out of his... No, he, he fumbles it. It doesn't get kicked out of his hand or nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, he just drops it. I, is this, like, I don't think he even ever makes it into the blood shack, does no. he? No. He does not get into the blood shack. I believe she, we no longer have anyone re- get into the blood shack from this point forward. The trooper's just out in the yard now. <laughs> and as, as she's walking away from the scene, like with her back towards it, she's like, she's like, oh, shoot. I, I guess there was that uh, one kid who was talking to Daniel as I was leaving. Oh, but the sheriff said two missing kids. Well, this can't couldn't be related have been to them. that. Okay. It couldn't have been that. Yeah, and uh, a different movie, arguably a lesser movie, would play this for obvious comedy. This movie is just, you know, it's just happening. It's another thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, no, like this isn't played for laughs, even though it's hilarious. It's just, you know, it's it's the, that's the background. You know, she's wondering like, oh, yeah, oh, I should tell him. Like, no, nah, that probably wasn't anything. <laughs> she's completely oblivious. And we have her doing some more pony shit with the kids. Yeah, she's starting to really get along with the kids who are her kids, I think. So it sort of makes sense. Uh, the dad says the kids really dug me and I, I dug them as I well. Dug them. Yeah, very, very weird way of putting it. I dug them as well. <laughs> and then we get our iconic scene. They'll oh, right. Him talking to the down. trooper. Yeah, he's standing on the porch looking into the house and. I wonder if the trooper, like the trooper as Tim or Tim as the trooper, is he in there? Uh, I think it's more of a soliloquy kind of deal. I think so. Because he's like striding back and forth and he occasionally the the wind will blow his hat off his head and he just loses (laughs) it. Uh, But he never stops. He just keeps on going, talking about how they're never going to tear this place down, trooper. I'm going to see to it. I'm going to keep burying those bodies. You're going to stay there. This shack's going to be here forever. Yep, yep. You keep knocking them down. I'll keep burying them, Choop. It's okay. You just keep on killing. Yep. He's into it. Yeah. Never going to find the bodies. Not where I hit them. Right. So I I think I mentioned this before, but all of the discs in the Ray Dennis Steckler box do start with that. Oh, that's amazing. That is the the clip that goes under the FBI warning for each disc in the set. So for that reason alone, this is a good place to, to yeah. start jumping into Ray Dennis That does make sense, yeah. They clearly considered it key. <laughs> uh, it's, it's probably the most 
to me, it's the most memorable scene in the whole movie by far. It's such a great line and it's such, just such a great bit. Him on that shack and he's very serious about it. Again, not played for laughs, but also not played for scares. It's just him being very serious. He's out on this tiny porch, you know, dilapidated house. He's talking to an empty building in this desolate landscape and I'm going to, you know, th- this is very important to me and I'm going to maintain it forever. I'm going to devote my life to this empty fucking desolate shack. <laughs> so through, through more, <laughs> it's right around here that I realized that this was going to be a Scooby-Doo plot mm-hmm. uh, because it's right around here where she starts mentioning that Tim is being really aggressive now coming around about buying the ranch and we see him like grabbing her and stuff. Right. I think this is where we have that second rodeo sequence where we have him show up there and he's bothering her there. And then we have the digging a hole sequence, which is probably the other great sequence of the movie. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. Yeah. She goes to take her mind off Tim being a dickwad. She goes to the second rodeo where we get our second song. And I call this the uh, the depression spiral rodeo because She's not as excited about it. She's not narrating it. It's got like this kind of like dark, moody song playing. It's still fun, but it's it's darker. Mm-hmm. And she's just trying to chase that high that she felt with the first rodeo, but she can never quite get there because it's not new anymore. She's built up her tolerance too much. Mm-hmm. She's trying to fill that void in her life with the rodeo. And the narration doesn't say any of this because she doesn't want to tell us this. Okay, that that's my theory. <laughs> I don't. Th- <laughs> I think they just wanted to put the song there instead of narration. Yeah, they they had some rodeo footage. They had more rodeo footage to use. I was like, hey, why not? Let's use some more rodeo footage. Uh, so nothing really happens there. There's, I I think. Oh yeah, no, there's another pet. The the kids also get a puppy. Oh yeah, they get a puppy. I yeah. cannot remember the name of the puppy, but yeah, they they I don't also think get a the puppy. Puppy got a name. Oh, maybe not. Uh, and yeah, cute puppy. And then I think it's the digging the hole scene, isn't it? Yeah, we are on the digging the hole scene. Um, so great, because so th- this feels a little different between the two versions. I feel like it's sort of because of the way it's zoomed in and edited in the blood shack cut. It kind of feels like you reveal at the end that the kids are digging the hole like three feet away from the adults, whereas in the original cut, it's actually pretty clear right the first shot and then. You just see it intercutting between them the rest of the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it zoomed out more, so they're not focusing right. on the hole that's being dug, but rather the kids who are talking. Just digging. Yeah, yeah digging, digging and talking. And, talking. and it, in the blood check cut, it sort of gives you the impression that they could be digging up one of the bodies or that they could encounter something that has been buried by Daniel because it does sort of feel like everything is moving towards this explosive climax of some sort uh, yeah, as because, much as we can expect one in this film yeah because while they're digging the hole uh daniel and tim have gotten into an actual i, I don't want to call it a fist fight but they're, you a know, fight nonetheless they're they're <laughs> scuffling they're they've gotten into a scuffle and <laughs> they're just like rolling back and forth and carol just keeps stop it stop it guys come on guys guys and it's constantly intercut with the kids digging, and it just sort of seems like maybe they're going to uncover a dead body until it zooms out to show them fighting and her going, stop it, guys. And the kids, like, 
on the other side of her, just digging a <laughs> hole in nothing. Like, wow, this is so weird. What a strange tableau. Why are these kids here? And why are these weird men fighting in front of these small children? Because it's, again, been instigated by him saying, I want to buy that ranch. He's like, I've told you I don't want to buy that ranch. And he grabs her. He's like, yeah. I told you I don't want to buy the ranch. And then Daniel says, she told you she didn't want to buy the ranch. Yeah, yeah. They, now the trooper's going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the trooper's not going to get him because he doesn't go into the house. I, I was Although sort of nobody goes Daniel. into the house. <laughs> I was, you know, uh, now the trooper's going to get you. And he jumps on him. As they, they start oh, 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 oh. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, they yeah they they battle. Uh, it's very very sad. It's very very long. It goes on quite some time. Yeah, they they just fight, and the kids dig, and they fight, and the kids dig, and they fight, and the kids dig, and Carol's they fight Stop and it. dig. Stop they it. fight and fight and dig. Fight fight fight. Dig dig dig. The Trooper and Children Show. And just like uh, Carol and. Tell him stop it, stop it, stop it, guys. I, uh, this is a st- stop it. And then nothing's resolved because you know she's not going to sell the ranch, and Tim still wants to buy it. Yep. Nobody's ass is kicked enough to be discouraged in any way from the one thing that's driving them. And uh, oh, sorry, this this fight happen does happen before the second rodeo. Okay. And she goes to the rodeo, I guess, to cool off from this. Right. Okay. So after the second rodeo, this scene, we just have Daniel walking and then Super comes out from behind the shack and just right starts running for him. So we were into end game because Trooper versus Trooper. It's it's the real thing. Yeah. And they they fight again. And it's exactly like the fight that we just that we just talked about. It's just the same two people. (laughs) Uh, And. Oh, it's here where she's wearing her Stars and Stripes pants. I think she has them in a couple scenes. Uh, but yeah, uh, they they fight. Ultimately, Tim is revealed to be the person in the true pursuit, and he is killed. Yeah, he's killed by Daniel. Daniel's like, now, Daniel, though, is mortally wounded. Right, they both get badly stabbed during the fight, and Daniel, dying, tells Carolyn, like, well, that's no trooper, that's Tim. <laughs> he wanted to scare you off the land but the trooper is real the and he will get you he will get you <laughs> and he dies and he dies <laughs> and she's like wow this is just way too heavy for me yeah um, oh that's the absolutely incredible final line in the movie i'll worry about it tomorrow i'll worry about it tomorrow the end <laughs> <laughs> that is if tomorrow ever comes oh yeah that is if tomorrow ever comes the just i i've never heard a more non-committal ending like you're i'm, I'm used to a, a horror movie <laughs> ending with a the end question mark but hers, like well, i don't know what to do about this i guess i'll think about it tomorrow bye movie and <laughs> yeah and it, and it does end with a the end question mark of course yeah i mean that's <laughs> fair that that is classic i think steckler's done that more than a few times in this set already yeah weird wild it's it's such a strange way to end it and again uh, in keeping with the strange sort of 
ennui of the movie with this sort of strange emptiness and desolation and everything? Well, I think I think the way to interpret the if tomorrow ever comes moment is in one cut. I can't I think it's the blood shack cut. She is shown after in the shack going into the shack. Okay. Like, like she's going to sleep on the gross mattress. She's going to find out if, the, if she's, there's another trooper, a third trooper. Yeah, if, if the trooper's real. Then maybe tomorrow never comes, right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. It is or, much less clear in the original cut, though. Well, yeah, and I think it's the better cut in every, well, pretty much every way. Because I, I do like the ambiguity in that it's more just an emotional thing because she's never been involved in this trooper bloodbath story. That's not what she's here for. She's just there for the... Uh, divorce vibes. That's her thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she's like just trying to have a fun midlife crisis in a rodeo thing. Yeah, well, I don't even know about fun, but she, she's like having she's she's having a lot of feelings out in the desert. And uh, this trooper thing is really not what she's here for. And then like it happens she's like, wow, that was weird. I don't even know how to process that. Maybe I'll think about it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> The end. It's incredible. What a weird thing to do. There's nothing like a Ray Dennis Steckler movie. Uh, It's true. I have never seen anything like this before. Ah, it's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad I finally got into this. Yeah, it rules. finally did the Trooper. Indeed. So that is the end of the Trooper, a.k.a. Blood Shack. Uh, do you have any last thoughts on it before we move on to our third and final section? Yeah, that ain't the trooper. He ain't 150 years old. Oh, that's yeah. just Tib. That's such a good line. He ain't 150 <laughs> years old. <laughs> well, and when you see, like, he wasn't even wearing a mask. He was just wearing face paint, but he's wearing, like, child's face paint. There's, like, yeah. stars on his face and yeah. circles. It's got, like black felt marker to give him like a bad robert downey jr goatee it's so cheap looking it's it, and how much of it is just that's all that tim had the budget for and how much of it is that's all ray had the budget for you know it, it's just it, it it all collapses into the one wave form you know oh it's beautiful uh it's amazing it's definitely recommend Oh, totally. Uh, absolutely fascinating work. And I sort of recommend the entire oeuvre of Ray Dennis Steckler because it's all like this. It all has this totally unique sensibility. E- every one of his stories is like, well, this is a story that no one else has told and no one else could tell. <laughs> Even when they're based on really recognizable genre concepts, like the Thrill Killers one. It's a serial killer movie, but it takes some weird turns. And that Rat Fink boo where... After like 45 minutes, it turns into a Batman parody after being like a crime movie. So oh, strange. that's that's him too. OK, maybe yeah. maybe I'll check out a few of these. Oh, highly recommended. They're all fun and they're all about an hour long. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if there's nothing further, I'll head on into part three. And we're back for our third and final part where we're talking about the other movies we've watched in the past week on physical media and deciding what we're going to watch next week. So we got a bunch of choices this week. Got a good Ooh. 12. Cool. Uh, what uh, we so got? 
First up from the Arrow, Years of Lead, uh, Plisioteschi, Italian crime thriller box. Uh, we have Colt 38 Special Squad. Now, I sent you a few cri- clips from this one. Oh, I, th- I think, which one were these? I've, I've seen, I've seen yeah, a this few is clips, a while ago. they kind this of blurred together. Well, as you know, this was the very first thing uh, in the week. So it's, uh, it's this Italian police thriller kind of thing. You know, the, the very nihilistic Poliziotesky of the 70s in Italy are sort of like the 90s crime explosion in, in like urban cinema in America. So it's just like apocalyptic crime violence. Okay. And And this one follows this police inspector. His wife is murdered by this madman some you know uh the the head of some crime syndicate uh targets him and targets his wife because he's a cop right so to get his revenge he starts his own special uh the the colt 38 special squad so they all have colt 38 police revolvers from the u.s which are reliable and powerful guns and they all ride around in motorcycles and they're going to be like the elite crime force oh no uh it's Really crazy, really violent. Uh, they're the the ones I sent you. A lot of dummy violence. That's very fun. <laughs> it's the the one that I definitely know you saw because I remember you talking about it. Is where the guy gets his uh, hand closed in the car door and just oh, yeah. gets totally shredded to bits. Because just... <laughs> the other guys are running away. You get a lot of stuff. You get dummies fall and you get dummies on fire flying through the air. Uh, there's that one, another one I sent you because ultimately it turns into a mad bomber plot. Uh, our, our main villain, uh, is a mad bomber. Of course. And he's like got this device where he can set all of these explosives to go off, uh, through a radio transmitter in his, uh, car lighter. So they press the car lighter and something explodes. All right. So, you know, blows up a dude peeing on a tree, <laughs> blows up houses and <laughs> It's it's very elevated uh, and just like totally wild. A really great time. Cool, cool. Uh, my favorite in the set so far, for sure. All right. Uh, next from the Ray Dennis Steckler box, I watch Mad Love Life of a Hot Vampire. So how <laughs> similar is that to the Trooper? Uh, I mean, huh? It's weird. So this is a hardcore film, and. It's similar to The Trooper in that it's not what you would expect from a hardcore film because it's completely uninterested in being sexy. (laughs) But it's like, what if not? What if not sexy? What if funny? What if gross? Let's do a bit of funny and gross. Mostly gross. And you have the sort of weird extended sex scenes and because, you know, they're they're vampires. They're vampire ladies and they're they're acting. uh, they're, They're pretending to be sex workers. Okay, and they pick up okay. these guys and they're just these extended sex sequences in the middle of the movie that are all taking place at the same time. And there's this one lady who's just really aggressive and she's my favorite part of the movie. It's, it is actually in the sex scenes, but she, uh, she's really mad at the guy for not getting hard enough. <laughs> she's <laughs> yelling at him. <laughs> like she's yelling at his dick. Stop bending. Stop bending. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, they, they have the extended sequences, and then when it's going to be the money shot, all of them bite the guys in the dick, and it's just blood everywhere, explosive blood money shot. 
Uh, it's weird. It's very strange. It's a very Stecklery kind of flavor. It's bad, but it's amazing. I don't know. Okay. All right. Next, we've got Recommendation for Mercy, which is the other feature by, I think it's Murray Markowitz. Uh, same guy who did I Miss You Hugs and Kisses, uh, the okay. Canadian true crime guy. Right, so right. This one's another true crime Canadian story. Uh, I think it's, uh, what's this guy's name? Uh uh shit very famous uh canadian true crime case uh about stephen truscott uh stephen truscott is is this guy who in the 50s like late 50s he was accused of murder of uh, rape and murder of a 12 year old girl when he was 14 oh okay uh and with Pretty much no evidence he got convicted and was sentenced to death. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it Like, the, the death sentence got suspended. He was eventually let out of prison, but it was, like, in the 2000s or something like that. Or, oh. like, the 90s. It took a very, very long time. Uh, very, very long time. Or, no, he was let out earlier, and I think it was finally expunged or something in, like, 2008. I can't remember. I was reading a bit about it after watching it. But this, of course, came out when he was still in jail. So, uh, so to be clear, he didn't actually commit this crime? Uh, I mean, most people believe he did not. He has okay. always maintained his innocence. There is nothing to suggest that he did other than oh. uh, the police believed he did. Uh, there, there was like really there was some circumstantial evidence that they felt link, that uh, lent towards him. Oh, it's one of those. I see. So this movie is it, it does play it ambiguous. Uh, it suggests it, it definitely doesn't seem to really believe that he's the one who did it. And it's more about the trial. It's it's very heavily based on the trial and a lot of flashbacks. But the first hour or so is just this weird 50s Canadian adolescent coming of age stuff that's just sort of how weird and lawless. And it, it you, you do get the feeling of that. As we've talked about the leaded gasoline thing, where just people seem too amped up, and you would have people who just seem fucking deranged around you all the time. Yeah, that's. I wonder if we're getting a, another resurgence of that. I'm feeling people are being really just. Too I think that's much just, lately. Th- I think that's just a pressure valve. <laughs> uh. the, the internet is a crucible where we're all fighting at each other all the time. But uh, then I, I, I genuinely believe this leaded gasoline hypothesis where it just seems like people were too fucking intense. Like, especially when you get to bullying or the way that uh, people would interact in terms of like teens, you would have so much brawling like that. They'd just be like totally psychotic. And I feel like that's not quite the modern teen experience. Not but I like really that, recognize though. it as sort of a trajectory from the media of the 60s or people who grew up in that time. You you see that sort of fade as it comes into the modern era where that's just like, I mean, we were the last outdoor kids. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Next up is Le Professionnel or The Professional. It's a Jean-Paul Belmondo film. Great French actor. Sort of a, one of his... Weird 70s action movies. They're very action-packed. They're big thrillers, but they're also really dark and grim. Okay. So this is one where he plays a French spy. And I think last time when I was talking to her, my, my impression of it was that he was burned and sort of left to die in this African country. And it's him trying to fight his way back out. 
But that's really only the opening. Okay. Okay. He he's sent to assassinate the head of state in it's I can't remember the name of the place, but it's a fake name. It's a not a real country. It's it's similar to Malawi, but I think <laughs> they add one extra syllable. It's like Malawari or something. All right. And he's you know he's been sent to assassinate the president, but he gets caught. So his organization disavows him and leaves him in the prison and they're going to execute him. But, you know, he manages to escape and it's him fighting his way out. And then he fights his way out and he's back in France and he goes back to Paris and he tells him, like, OK, I'm going to go back and I'm going to kill that guy. But, you know, times have changed because it's been two years that he's been in prison and they don't want him to do it anymore. Oh, so he's okay. just kind of burning down his organization and killing uh, this <laughs> head of state. All right. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, very action packed. I sent you a bunch of uh, clips from this of Belmondo just uh, doing, you know, his action guy stuff. That's you know very inelegant but effective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just cool. like uh, like him just running out and kicking someone. Like oh, oh it's yeah, like in a tough situation. <laughs> Next, we've got Swords of Vengeance, also known as The Fall of Akko Castle. This is the next Sonny Chiba one, right? Correct. It's sort of a 47 Ronin one, or it is the the classic 47 Ronin story. It just okay. told, tells it from a kind of a different perspective. Hmm. So have you ever seen any very versions of 47 Ronin? I don't think I actually have. I'm seen, like a little familiar with it, but not super. I've seen a couple... And the ones I'm familiar with, it's mostly an action thing. You're following these 47 loyal Ronin. You have the giant battle. This movie is much more focused on the politics surrounding it and how it happened and why it happened. Because the, the basic concept is there's the head of this clan, the Akko clan. Uh, he strikes at this older guy who he has beef with at some sort of samurai council or whatever. And he gets excommunicated. They find against him. They execute him. And then he's got this very big, powerful, rich clan. And they're all left with nothing because the whole clan's, clan's been disavowed. Right? Right. Okay. So they're, like, there's this huge power vacuum. There's all of these families, all of these samurai. It's like, well, what the fuck are we going to do now? Oh, so shit. they decide to start. You know, they they go they go for revenge. They go after the guy that he was trying to assassinate, and it's like, well, we're gonna fucking finish the job. That's how it is. <laughs> it's interesting. It's much more slow paced than you expect. It's very long. It's like two hours and forty minutes, and there's not a lot of action. Like it's it's quite 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 a bit more interested in the politics of it and just uh, the the social structure and how that's sort of thrown out of whack by. You know, the the head of the family having to commit harakiri uh, mm-hmm. and very interested in honor stuff. I don't know. It's interesting, but it's pretty dry. Okay. Sanishiba doesn't uh, do a whole bunch of massacres, or does he? No, not really. He's got, like, I mean, he's involved in a couple, but it's just sort of at the end. He's not, he's not the main character in this one either, oh, okay. I think, as I recall. Uh, next we've got... Pensione Paura, or Hotel Fear. Is it giallo? Uh, this, this is the one I was talking about where it's World War II, and there's this uh, woman with her daughter running a hotel. And, of course, it's World War II, so you don't really have 
good time people hanging out there. Uh, things yeah. aren't great. You know, most of the people are off being soldiers or uh, you have kind of just the scumbags hanging around this hotel. It's okay. not a good place. Yeah. And uh, the mom dies mysteriously. She falls down a flight of stairs and all the dudes start converging on the daughter. And it's, uh, you know, she's uh, there. There's quite a bit of sexual menace there. Uh, and uh, they start ending up, they start fucking turning up dead all over the place. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who could be doing it? So, yeah, you know, gel lighting, uh, really cool score, lots of fucking bloody kills. You know, it's, it's, it's a solid yellow. Cool, cool. Next, we've got Gentlemen Prefer Nature Girls. Uh, the next one in the Doris Wishman, uh, the Daylight Years. Ah, so I'm guessing uh, two, I'm going to say park rangers discover a nudist colony and try to live there. No, this one, uh, th- this one is, there's this nudist couple and they work for a real estate agency, mm-hmm. but the boss is prejudiced against nudists. Right. <laughs> he, uh, the, like the, the, the married couple, and he's also prejudiced against married people working for him. So the, oh, the wife is, yeah, the wife is the secretary and he doesn't know that his best salesman is married to her. But anyway, <laughs> one day they're leaving and the husband drops his official American nudist membership card or whatever <gasps> on the floor oh, accidentally. No. And the boss finds it. So he gets fired. He fires him for being a nudist. Such discrimination. Yeah, wow. Well, I guess back then it wasn't a protected class. I guess not. So, you know, they, they go up to spend a weekend at the nudist camp to fucking come down from it's like, oh, what a fucking bummer. We got, got fired for this. Uh, and the, the guy who runs the place, you know, he's well known in the nudist community. So he gets the he he's running the place while the guy who's normally in charge happens to be out of town. And while he's doing his rounds, it turns out the big deal that his real estate agent boss is trying to make is with this other firm. And it turns out the head of the other firm is another nudist at this colony. What luck. Ho-ho! So, you know, they they hatch a scheme to bring the boss into the nudist colony unknowingly so he'll experience <laughs> it for himself and know how wonderful it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's about it. All right. Next up, we've got Silip, also known as the Daughters of Eve. A very strange, intense, grotesque, very brutal uh, Filipino exploitation film. Okay. It's one that, like, the first half hour or so, it seems like it could have taken place any time in the past 300 years. And then, like, a bus rolls up and someone shows up with a boombox. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I... I'm here from Manila. What's everyone up to? Uh, you, know, you are all still living like savages out here on this beach. Interesting. How about that? All right. Uh, you know, she's gone to work as a sex worker for a while, and she comes back with a white boyfriend, which is just a whole scandalous thing. There's uh-huh. the the local guy who skins buffalo, and uh, you know he he's their meat producer. Uh, she had a thing for him when they were younger. So she's come back 
with her white boyfriend to mess with him, but also to mess with her old best friend, who's sort of a witch woman in the camp. Right. And uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of sex, a lot of violence, a lot of blood. Uh, it's really gruesome. It's really crazy. Uh, it's it's sort of a coming of age movie. There's uh, all sorts of different layers of that because you have all these kids running around on the beach like the, the opening scene is a very intense scene where this this main guy who's evil i think it's simon it's his name where he kills and uh and uh strips a buffalo and skins a buffalo in real time for real in front of a bunch of screaming children asking him not to oh my god okay uh, so yeah you know it's it's that kind of movie it's very intense quite a thing jesus christ uh, next up, we've got Secrets, which is the next one in the Michael J. Murphy box. Uh, nearly a complete film. There's there's some dropouts of sound, but it's mostly there. Okay. Compared to the other ones in the movie, or uh, the other ones in the set so far. You know, the previous ones have been very fragmented. Uh, this one's kind of just a giallo. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, there there's a, this woman who's in Greece, and uh, she's just being menaced by, uh, you know, people uh, on this this island. And I don't know, it's it's got sort of a Tales from the Crypt sort of vibe, but it's it's very chilly and icy. Okay, okay. It's, it's pretty good. Next, we've got Fast Five. <laughs> so, have you seen my this understanding one? is, no, I've only seen the first one. Oh, okay. My understanding is this is generally considered the good one of the ones i've seen this is just by leaps and bounds the best <laughs> okay it's not even close uh this one's great it's just such a blast it's they finally sort of put all the pieces together because you know the first one you just have uh, there there's there's some fire there i i think the the combination that where it really works best is when you have vin diesel and paul walker playing off each other there's just a chemistry that works there you don't have a whole lot of it in the first movie. Second movie, no Vin Diesel. Oh, uh, wow. you you have you introduce a bunch of new characters. You have Paul Walker still. You move the location. Everything's different except it's still cars and there's still Paul Walker. Right. And he's like, no, we don't like that. And I'm like, okay, okay, well, number three, they move to Tokyo. Let's do some Tokyo drifting. We're gonna have all new characters. Not a single character's back. Oh, so no Paul Walker. No Paul Walker. Uh, Vin okay. Diesel shows up in a cameo at the end. <laughs> <laughs> we're putting together a team it's basically like that yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> then four is just this slow boring intense nostalgia trip where it's like man didn't we love that first fast and furious movie wouldn't it be great to hang out with all those people again let's all hang out is with those it? people again it's so fucking boring it's so tedious oh. nothing happens in that goddamn movie that was the first one i saw Okay. So I saw that, like, man, I don't get it. (laughs) It's got one really awesome opening sequence, and I think it's got one other really good chase in it, but there's a whole lot of boring nostalgia trip in between it. And watching that as the first film is disastrous, because you have to know who all of these people are to care even the slightest bit. All right. Whereas five, it's like, you know what? Let's stick with the nostalgic vibe, but let's just actually bring back characters from every one of the four movies that we've had. And let's put a super team together and we're going on a really major heist. <laughs> we're going to actually have a plot this movie. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so they move 
you know, everybody's been gone to jail. You know, it's it's been uh, four movies and, you know, everyone has done something criminal and ended up in prison. And, uh, you know, at, at the start of this one, they break Vin Diesel out of prison, which puts Paul Walker on the wrong side of uh, the law, because previously he was the cop. Oh, right. I was going to say, wasn't Paul Walker the cop who yeah. had, like he had to go undercover to infiltrate the racing thing? Right. So the the big opening sequence of that of this one is them breaking him out of a jail bus obviously okay you know high speed you know a, a crazy chase where they flip the prison bus and stuff because <laughs> those everyone knows prison buses just they do not slow down or stop for anything indeed so you got to have some real fast stuff they, they don't try to make it slow down they just put cars in front of it and roll it <laughs> okay <laughs> and then they do a train robbery with cars and nice. then uh, they get involved in this whole plot because they're down in Brazil because they can't be in America. You know, they've they're heavily wanted. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they're uh, they, they get involved in this thing with the, the, the train robbery, which gets them involved with these bad guys. And it turns out they're the main cartel and they run the town and they actually operate their own bank out of the police department with all of the crooked police. So oh. this is a movie where police are the bad guys. OK. I'm, I'm I'm into it. And uh, they, you know, they put together their super team. They call all their favorite people from all the previous movies and they get all of them together to all their specialties. And they do Ocean's Eleven-esque training plots and, you know, they do the fake outs for you. It's very Ocean's Eleven. -y. <laughs> okay. Uh, and yeah, it's just awesome. The, the really amazing action sequences, a lot of just fast paced stuff. This is the one that adds the rock. He is just a G.I. Joe figurine in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the new cop who's out to get them, who, oh, who's okay. got to stop them. And he's from America and he's just got his little militarized unit. He's got all these side characters who are supposed to be with them. I don't know if any of them have names. They all get killed off at once at one point. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It rules. All right. Uh, my biggest question about this is, you said it brings back people from every movie. Do I have to have seen every movie or even most of them to understand what's going on? Or No. Well, remember, I'd only seen four before seeing this one, and four was just all nostalgia without any of the background for it, so I was just lost. Okay. Five, I was like, oh, this rolls. This is just a fucking fun action movie. I don't care who any of these people are with their backstory. Like, <laughs> now that I've seen all them right. all, I kind of understand a little bit more about some of the background stuff, but it's like, yeah, whatever. It didn't matter. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, next, I watched The People Under the Stairs, which is not on the list, but because we've already covered it. Well, let's cover it again. Yeah. Just thought <laughs> I mentioned it because it fucking rips. I watched it again. It's still great. Uh, kind of holds up really well. Just a really interesting urban thriller uh, with weird comedic streak. Yeah. I don't think we mentioned this uh, during the show that we covered it because I didn't find out about it until after. Or, or I could just be remembering this completely wrong when we totally mm. talked about this. But the the couple, they're meant to be based on Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Yeah. Uh, Big Ed and Nadine from Twin Peaks playing essentially Ron and Nancy Reagan, doing like their version of it, except they're uh, cannibal, incestuous brother-sister couple who are old money, who used to run a crematorium, but it fell out into disrepair and now they're just living like parasites off the ghetto yeah and, and with a shotgun and gimp suit yeah oh it rules it's a great movie <laughs> it's so good next up we've got men in black 
the original 97 picture. Did you ever see this one? Oh, I saw this one. I figured you would have had to. This is one of those landmark 90s movies. Uh, I had not seen it since seeing it in theater the day it opened. It was the first time I've rewatched it somehow. You know, I've only ever seen it. Uh, I haven't seen it this century. Yeah, I saw it in 97. <laughs> I, I saw so, it quite a few times when it was fairly new, okay. but I haven't seen it in the 2000s at all. Fair, fair. Uh, I had rewatched MIB 2, the sequel, like two or three years ago out of curiosity because I never watched any of the sequels before. Yeah, me neither. And it's fucking awful. Oh. It's so bad. It <laughs> That's is unbelievably bad. So I I, I kind of had it in my mind, like, Men in Black's probably not that great. If I revisit it, it's not going to be very good. You know what? It fucking really holds up. It rips. It rules. Hmm. It's edited so well. It, there's not a moment that's excess. Like, like every moment is funny or action-packed. Uh, Will Smith is rarely better. Hmm. Okay. The, the dialogue's really funny. The whole world is really interesting, the way they have created the Men in Black to be really nonchalant about all of this shit. Something that they lose in the sequel, where you don't really have... Everyone's much too... The, the, the beauty of this movie is it's them pulling back the curtain. You get to reveal all of these things, like, oh, this person is actually an alien, this famous celebrity is an alien, and you get to show people who are secretly aliens in various different places, and you lose that with the sequels where you can't discover new stuff and it just it turns into them throwing the funny characters who are there for like three minutes because this movie is really well edited and picks its punches right it's like well let's spend 25 minutes with them instead mm. like oh this is death mm. <laughs> this one's great uh really holds up such a great time one about the only thing i really remember from this movie aside from like him writing on the side of the egg chair and that whole awkward scene that was fun yeah is where he's like he's like will smith is like freaking i was like don't you know there's like an alien death cruiser hovering above and tommy lee jones is like there is always yeah, an alien death always. cruiser hovering above the always whole point, something going on the whole point is that they don't find out about it yeah, it's like, stop shooting people. It's not that big of a deal. Just chill out. That's what I love about this movie. It's them sort of unraveling this whole world. But Tommy Lee Jones is always like, yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's he's never all that concerned about any of it. Yeah. Last up is Sleeping with the Enemy, a uh, early 90s erotic thriller. Oh. Is this a Julia Roberts one? Pretty okay. early Julia Roberts where uh, she's she's in this abusive relationship or this abusive marriage, this uh, really fucking demented guy who likes to put on, uh, you know, the song at the beginning of The Shining I where they're so. going over the mountains. There's oh. oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the song he likes to put on when they have sex Ooh, that's not a good <laughs> or song. when he hits her, oh. uh, which he does. He, he, he does some of that. So. She fakes her death and starts a new life to get away from him. Okay, sure. And uh, most of the movie is just sort of her starting to try to live her new life. And in the deep background, we occasionally get scenes of him starting to realize that maybe she isn't actually dead and starting to look for it. It takes a really long time for much of anything to happen in this movie. 
But then in like the last 15 minutes, they face off again. <laughs> All uh, right. You know, it, it's interesting, but it's there's a lot of emptiness on the way there. It looks really great. It's sort of beautifully shot. It's interesting. It's by the same director as The Stepfather movie we covered. Think... Way oh, back. right, right. The one that's on uh, the Family Annihilator guy. Right. John List, right? John List, yeah. It's the the one that's sort of based on John List. This is interesting as sort of an inversion of that, right? She fakes her death to escape the toxic family, but then, you know, the family annihilator husband just keeps coming after her. You know, she's trying to start up a new life under a new name in a new town, but he comes looking. Right, right. Interesting concept. You know, it's it's solid enough, but yeah, it definitely has a lot of empty space in it that could have been better filled. Okay. So those are our uh, 12 options. Uh, What do you figure for our second feature next week? Well, I'm thinking I should finally get into the Fast and the Furious movies. And now that I know I don't have to watch the bad ones... Oh yeah, no, you don't need to watch the other ones. Who cares? I like I've kind of grown a bit of an appreciation for some of them. The third one is sort of fun, but one, two, four, you don't need them. <laughs> Two's all right at times. I don't know, but yeah, five's the one you gotta see. Uh, and I'm kind of interested to start digging into the subsequent ones because I've never seen after five. Oh, okay. It's the only one I've uh, seen up to. All right, yeah, let's do Fast Five. All righty. So in the main stacks, we have uh, quite a few additions, actually. I um, did a lot of deep pulls this week. Okay. So uh, additions. First up from the uh, Poliziotesky set, we have Highway Racer. There's another uh, sort of police uh, vehicle-based ones. You know, 38 Special Squad. We have the Motorcycle Squad. This guy, he's the real... Uh, top police driver. The poster for this is amazing. I'm just taking a look at that poster now and seeing, uh, oh, okay, there's just cars, like, on top of uh, buildings, and, like, there's one upside down. He's sitting on some flowers. I think he's sitting on another overturned car that that has, like, landed in a bush. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That could be that could be a bush. There's people in the overturned car. They look like they're dying or something. I don't know. <laughs> There's uh, just a lot of ruined cars, and he looks happy as a clam. Yeah, he looks pretty pleased with himself. Uh, yeah, so it's just him as you know, crazy police driver who's reckless, hotshot kind of dude. A top oh, gun of cannon. police drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from the Ray Dennis Steckler box, we have Nazi Brothel. <laughs> oh. Continuing the hardcore. There are a couple Nazi-themed ones on this hardcore, okay. the first hardcore disc. Uh, I cannot remember the full list of <laughs> the hardcore movies, but there are some. You, just reading through the list of titles is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next is Out of the Blue, which is a Dennis Hopper film. Uh, from 1980, like directed by Dennis Hopper rather than starring. Oh, oh okay. Uh, sort of a, an interesting punk movie or post-punk. It's this young girl whose parents are hippies and she's rebelling against them by becoming uh, really rigid and fascistic and, you know, dressing in leather and sort of uh, anti-hippie uh, movement type stuff. And just okay. sort of all moving towards a really bleak end. Like this is an extremely bleak movie. 
Mm, all right. Next is Hunted, uh, the first of three films only made by a very short-lived British studio called the Pamini Organization. Uh, this movie is only like 40 minutes long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's just the, the short film that they started out the studio with, and it's about this guy who uh, I think he's taking an estate agent hostage or maybe a real estate agent. I can't remember exactly what it is, uh, but you know, he's taking someone hostage in a building and just threatening to shoot them and threatening to shoot people outside the window. It was a very small, self-contained, like two people in a room kind of movie. Okay. Next is The Executioner, uh, another Sonny Chiba picture. Mm. Not from the set, but another one uh, that I've gotten since that set came out. Uh, does he do a lot of uh, executioning? Yeah, this is just one of the those movies where it's Sonny Chiba being a fucking deadly menace to society, killing people left and right. Uh, famously, there's a bit where he slaps someone so hard on the back of their head, their eyes come out. <laughs> yes. Pretty famous moment in this movie. Uh, next, we've got Flesh for Frankenstein, uh, sometimes referred to as Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. Okay. So this is, um, are you familiar with Andy Warhol? Vaguely. Not really. I, I I know the name. I know that I should know who he is. Big art guy. You know, he did the Campbell Soup paintings, uh, did those uh, those sort of multicolored paintings of uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, oh, really oh, the work. four, like four yeah. in a square. Okay, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, like, easily reproducible stuff and mechanical rep- reproduction is sort of one of his interests. Uh, he produced a handful of films that were sort of experimental but exploitation uh so this is one of his monster movies there's flesh for frankenstein there's also blood for dracula they both star udo kier okay udo kier he's uh playing a very strange dr frankenstein he's you know building his you know frankenstein monster but he's just very political and his motto is to fuck life in the pancreas uh (laughs) it's a 3d movie by the way okay Uh, (laughs) Really weird and grotesque. Uh, there's, um, I, I think Joe D'Alessandro is his hunchback. Uh, or I don't know if he's even a hunchback. I think he's just his lab assistant, but he's mostly having conversations about Marxism with the women in the house. A strange movie. It's been a while since I've rewatched these two. <laughs> uh, next up, Diary of a Nudist, the next Doris Wishman picture. What a surprise. Nudist. So... Uh, this time it's a firefighter who finds a nudist colony or who gets fired from firefighting because he's a nudist. There is a dude who's on a hunting trip and he accidentally stumbles upon a nudist colony. He's really shocked, but he's a newspaper colonist. So he sends someone to go report on it. That's so close to when I said they were park rangers. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... It's almost a movie, which is the title <laughs> of the next picture. Michael J. Murphy's. I, I think this one's only like 14 minutes or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 47 minutes, it says. Oh, maybe. It might not have all of that or something. Oh, oh right, right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, this one, apparently it's almost a movie. Hmm, okay. <laughs> that that all we're going to get? <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. It's hard to find information on these Michael J. Murphy movies. You mostly just have the logos and some poster art. Fair enough. They're very obscure. That's why <laughs> most guess. of them don't exist anymore. 
Mm. Next, we've got Fast and Furious 6. We drop the thes. But without the the, how do we know it's if it's those Fast and Furious or if it's just some Fast and Furious? Well, number four was called Fast and Furious. It didn't have the four. That. Wait, but it also didn't have the the. Yeah. uh, One, the Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Two, Fast and the Furious 2. I think, is it just the Fast and the Furious 2? It might be. Uh, Three, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Yeah, yeah. No, three. Four is Fast and Furious. Five is Fast Five. I remember being so confused when four came out because I was like, they remade the first one? <laughs> oh, I'm stupid. What am I thinking? Two is Too Fast, Too Furious. What, what are oh, we even talking right, about? Oh, right, of course. Lord, the greatest title of all time. Yeah, it, it's it's good. Six, Fast and Furious 6. Uh, seven, I believe, is Furious 7. Because there's Fast 5 okay. now. Furious 7. Uh, fate, or five, eight, is Fate, fate of, of the, the Furious. Furious. Oh, I remember when that, when, when that happened. Yeah, nine is just F9. Okay. Uh, and 10 is Fast X. As I mentioned, it is the one that is named after a suppository. Right, right. <laughs> that one I did not have. That, 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 uh, that spinoff. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, I have not seen that either. Uh, that's you know, Hobbs is introduced in this movie. That's The Rock's character. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. In Fast Five, I mean. Not, right, right. None six. Six, I don't know. It's the continuing adventures of Vin Diesel <laughs> and The Rock and the gang. Like, all right. I, I guess think, Paul Walker was still around. I believe this is the last one that he's in. I think he oh. may have died either just after or during the making of this one. Because I know around, it's either six or seven that has like the whole tribute to him. Okay. Yeah. And last edition, of course, Decision at Sundown, as we discussed in our first part. Mm-hmm. So what do you figure for our main feature next week? Well, I was scrolling through uh, Twitter today and I found an article about a mysterious object washed up on a beach that looks an awful lot like a kaiju egg. Oh, yeah, I saw and that. And I posted that in our chat and I was thinking like, oh, man, we don't know what this is. We need to find the nearest five-year-old ASAP. It looks quite a lot like the one in the first episode of Ultra Q. <laughs> that is exactly what yeah. it made me think about, actually. Yeah. So I got to thinking, when was the last time we did a kaiju? And I actually know the answer. (laughs) All right. It's been some Uh, time. April 10th-ish, I think, in that vicinity. So almost almost a a full year since we did a kaiju movie. And we did quite a few in that first year. Yeah, we did uh, several Gameras. We did one Godzilla. We did uh, Yongari. We did Yongari. <laughs> Poor Yongari. Poor sad Yongari. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's revisit that. Now I see. I only see it looks like we've just got Rodan and Gamera on here. I believe so. Let me just look further down. See if there's anything else. Uh, yeah, I think those are the only kaiju movies we've got in there at the moment. Okay. And you had said, I think, that the knife shark, whatever this thing is, is your favorite? Gyron. Uh, I I like Gyron a lot. I This is probably my favorite of the latter-day ones because it's got just a lot of weird elements. You have these uh, ladies from space who kidnap the kids because they want to eat their brains. 
it's, yeah. they're, they're not holding them for ransom. They just want a snack. Uh, and then they, you get the alien planet where you get teleporter shenanigans and you have the giant alien, which has a knife for a head. So it just chops things up. I think it gets <laughs> a gauss and it cuts it into sausages. Uh, you can see those little crosses where it seems to be maybe a nostril. Those are throwing stars. It oh. fires throwing stars out of its nose. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, it's I, I've I've always kind of had a soft spot for Gyron. This does admittedly, again, have some stock footage, as I believe every Gamera movie of the original era does at this point. They, they, OK, they they had not a lot of money and the budgets were getting lower, so they had to cut corners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's cool. Um, what's Rodan like? Like, so is really, it a serious one like Godzilla or? It's more in the Godzilla vein. It's a very early one. I think it's actually the second kaiju movie. Uh, okay. Godzilla's in 54. Actually, maybe there's two Godzilla movies before this. Because Godzilla Raids Again might be 55. Uh, but Rodan is 56. It's a pterodactyl, basically. You know, he's, okay. he's a giant pterodactyl. Uh, there's some just weird random shit that's sort of... Uh, builds up his lore. I think there's some tiny people, maybe. I know there is in Mothra. I can't remember if there also is in Rodan. Uh, it's obviously, there's a mine. You know, they're, they dig, do, de- dig too deep into a mine and oh, undercover. Yeah. You know, prehistoric flying creature. <laughs> okay. And eventually, I, I think he's one of the first Godzilla versus. There's a Godzilla versus Mothra and a Godzilla versus Rodan, and both of them are pre-existing characters pulled into the Godzilla franchise. Oh, cool, cool. Um, is there anyone that you want to do more than the other? I'm up for whichever. All right, let's let's do a Gamera. Uh, I'm right. kind of in the mood for a little potentially silly before we go back into a little bit more seriousness with Rodan whenever we get to it. Sounds good. This one is deeply, deeply silly, and I think you'll have a good time. Uh, this one is also one that has a mystery science theater of it. That's pretty classic. Oh, nice. nice. <laughs> All right. So next week we're, we're heading into sequel town. We've got fast five and Gamera versus Gyron. Those might actually both be the fifth in their they series. They are the fifth. Nice. Two fives. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so uh, any last thoughts before we uh, close for this week? You keep closing the podcast. I'll keep burying it. Never going to tear this podcast down. <laughs> Maybe I'm your Superman.